Welcome back to Potter Vic Weekly. This is episode something something. Today we are doing Psychic Serpent. Mike, you actually have, and I don't say this lightly, possibly the worst connection in the history of the world. And we're not actually That's doing not Psychic possible. Serpent, sweetheart. You got the name of the fic wrong, you didn't know the episode, and you broke up every other word. Other than that, I love it. Welcome back to Potter Thick Weekly. We are doing episode thingy. Why don't um, we just tell you what number this is? It's going to be episode 92. And what's the name of the fic? Well, Harry, Harry Potter, Potter and the Time, and of, the good time of Good Intentions. Welcome back to Potter Thick Weekly. This is episode 92 of the Time of Good Intentions with Harry Potter. <laughs> okay, this is actually not episode, episode 92 of, of this time fic. Of good no. It'd be like, well, we do one word a week. <laughs> This week, we're oh, talking actually, about her use of the phrase five. golden gorilla. Welcome back to Potterfic Weekly. This is episode 92 of The Time of Good Intentions with Harry Potter. <laughs> I am your host <laughs> and leader. <laughs> no, but when you said it wrong, you got the name of the fic in reverse. This time, I'll do it. Welcome back to Potterfic Weekly. This is episode 92 of Harry Potter and the Time of Good Intentions. Do you want me to write my mouth for you? I am your fearless leader, Mike. I am in That's charge right. of the podcast and everything that occurs within it because I have food Ryan and he is my servant. I'm standing step. over here. You're in charge when I go to bed. <laughs> All right, my fellow Papuanians. Boy, I've never seen that little power go to somebody head that quick especially when he's on a cell phone and doesn't know the name of the fic for monday november 9th 2009 this is episode 92 of potterfic weekly welcome to the place where the story never ends hey ron the next time you're freaked at me for calling you out on the quidditch pitch Remember that time That you stole my chocolate cauldron And declared your love for the build My fellow Pufuanians, I am Ryan I'm P.S. This is Dev Aaron Don't the guy trying to get out in traffic And he keeps jumping back Who didn't introduce him? Tim, say hi Oh, I'm Ryan. I'm P.S. Mike. Mike is really breaking up. Yeah, Mike, you're breaking up. Stick your head out the window. I'm Ryan. I'm P.S. This is Death Roll. Mike. I'm Tim. I'm Aaron. <laughs> if you haven't figured out who the hell we are by now, you really should start with episode one and work your way forward. <laughs> All right, the game plan for tonight's episode of Harry Potter in the time of... I'm doing it now! What the hell's the name of the podcast? In tonight's episode of Potter Fig Weekly, where we are covering Harry Potter in the time of good intentions, I am doing a half episode. So the original game plan was for Mike over here to take over when I leave. Say hi, Mike. Hello! We didn't take into account the fact that he would be podcasting from Dick Cheney's undisclosed location, so we're having a little bit of some signal disruption there. It's like an Independence Day when all the alien spacecraft are making the TV signal go wonky. It's kind of like that. Every station's making like it's the 1950s. We got static, we got snow, all kinds of distortion. My God in heaven. There's no shame in hiding. Oh, I better call my mother. Hello, uh, let me speak to Dr. Katz, please. I'm sorry, he's not available Listen, for $300 an hour, you can put me through to his house in the Hamptons. Last week, you didn't hear us on the podcast because we recorded a brilliant episode of the Powerfake Weekly where I sound like a duck the entire time. So unfortunately, <laughs> the peons were good enough to re-record that. I think Kelly even read the fic for it. <laughs> 
the time she spent complaining about reading, she could have read it three times. <laughs> but I digress. It's three fix, and it's longer than the whole series. <laughs> I think she has reason to be a little miffed. Wah. So the problem that we had last week is we lost really good comic moments. But luckily, they all involved Mike, so luckily they can all be <laughs> replicated. Now, last week, Mike was very adversarial. As you can tell here, he's trying to take over the podcast from me. So he was very snippy and sarcastic and trying to one-up me, and I had a simple response to everything he said. I said to him, Mike, who plays Harry Potter in the movies? Dead air. Mike, who plays Ron Weasley in the movies? Dead air. Mike, who wrote Harry Potter? Dead air. Now, that was last week, so we're going to see if Mike had a chance to look it up. Mike, who wrote Harry Potter? J.K. Rowling. It's rolling, but close enough. Mike, who plays Harry Potter in the movies? The Naked Horse Guy. The Naked Horse Guy. Daniel. (laughs) Daniel, the Naked Horse Guy, and this is episode 92 of The Good Intentions of Harry Potter. Sorry. Mike, who who plays Ron Weasley in the movies? He went to his live stream. He sounds like Newt Gingrich. Yeah, Um, Newt (laughs) Gingrich. You didn't look it up since last week. Oh, he's a loser. What do I? I mean, he's a really cool actor. Oh, awesome. for the love of God! All right, okay. Can you name me the actress who plays Hermione Granger? But Jim Ryan, can you tell me what Professor Lockhart wants for his birthday? That's actually touche. Although no one remembers you asking me that last week and me not being able to remember it, so it works out well for me in the end. All right. In the answer to the question, by the way, was Emma Watson. Emma Watson. What is it with you, Mike? You don't read the prophecies, and you thought Aletha was a Death Eater. What is it with? Well, Aletha was kind of screwy too so we don't know what was really up with her in the end i cannot get over that well (laughs) i have a question did anyone read butter what the hell was his name butter butter buttercup buttercup did anyone actually read his songs I did. Okay, just double yeah. check. I knew what I had at the story. Oh, that yeah. No. Yeah. I, I skimmed and skimmed and skimmed. So uh, this up. week we're doing what are probably my favorite chapters of the entire series because they are so freaking angsty. And we come to the question of whether or not Barb even literally like beats us over the head with the angst bat because there are some parts that like literally like I was waiting for Harry to get a flat tire. It was like one of those days. Um, but I gotta say in the end these are probably some of my favorite chapters so I'm really looking forward to getting in these tonight um, and my little Skype thing is flashing so let's see if it's one of the podcasters uh, Tim would like to know if he sounds okay I think he does so um, let's jump into it this week um, Mike what did you think of these chapters because I know last week you read the wrong fic <laughs> They're they're also my favorite parts of the fix so far. Um, I enjoyed them a great deal. I have like all sorts of different conversation points I want to touch on. Uh I had like 50 questions for Ryan. Uh, All right. What do you think your best question is? My best question. Um, well, one thing I thought was interesting was maybe like an interesting philosophical question. Mm-hmm. Is this Ginny the same person as the other Ginny? If I remember correctly, didn't the other Ginny usually like a prude? And this Ginny keeps trying to like have sex with Harry left well, and right? Let's make it clear that 15 year olds who don't want to have sex are not really prudes. They're, they're ordinary 15 year olds. But about um, the distinct difference that she's being a prude toward Draco rather than toward Harry. Right. And she, also is, and she also is like randomly anorexic. 
classic too because she's very it, well. No, it is. It's a different world, and the 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 linchpin wasn't that Lily Potter never died. It was that Voldemort never fell. So I'm sure her world is very different from the one from the original timeline because her dad wasn't around as much. You know, obviously the war went on longer. Two of her brothers, unbeknownst to her, have the dark mark because they're undercover. The Soviet Union still exists. Well, here's the thing. I don't think Ginny Weasley was personally affected by the lack of the fall of the Soviet Union. But oh no, I disagree with you. You think Ginny <laughs> Weasley is very different because because Russia did, did, didn't? Okay, well, I think it's really affected. But yeah, so the question: Why didn't the Soviet Union fall in this world? Clearly, it's related to Baltimore. And so I, 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 I do think we see this connection too. They, they mentioned briefly when it's um. I think it might have been last podcast chapters when Hermione goes to America and she can do Magic America. So I think very clearly there's this association that the Soviet Union is becoming a sort of um, baseline the dark wizardry and that Voldemort purposely is keeping it propped up because it's reinforcing power. Or it could be that Americans don't give a shit. I well, think you're giving Voldemort too much credit. Yeah, I mean, the thing in the ser- in the Harry Potter series that we've... Oh, well, I shouldn't even say this in the series, because I don't think America ever came up in the series, aside from the American president that the Prime Minister forgot to call back. But, and a brief I, mention of Salem Witches Academy at the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much... And I, and I work in Salem, and I look for it all the time. I can't find it. But anyway... Um, there are charms on it, Ryan, to keep you from finding it. <laughs> I'm walking around it. Hello! But, I mean, the, the, the deal is, is that you can either assume that Voldemort is like you know the global cancer of the world and he is trying to take over the entire planet and you know the policies that you see being pushed in England are also being pushed in France and Germany and all these different places whereas um, other authors take the approach that this is centric to only Great Britain and if you go to America you know things are fine and you know they're not living in fear of Voldemort every day so you can make the argument that you just get and that's actually the take I take and it, it leads me to the only thing that I think Barb doesn't do well in the fic. And the reason I say that is sh- I'm thinking right now, like I know Death Roll, you know, I put on the list, definitely Aspen in the Sunlight, um, you know, Ann Walsh. I'm, I'm just doing this off the top of my head here. I'm leaving out many. But there's authors that you can tell are so immersed in their universe, they can tell you anything. They can tell you the brand of toilet paper Harry uses. They've, they've thought of everything, and they put all that time and effort into it. And authors who just know so much about their universe that you actually feel really comfortable reading the fic because you're not thinking, is that a mistake? Is that a mistake? Is that a mistake? Because you trust the author. The one thing that didn't logically pan out for me was the whole labor shortage thing because I get it. The Muggleborns aren't in the universe. They're killing the squibs, so there's less workers, and there's more demand for workers but the one thing I didn't get is if that were the case, I'm sure they would be paying so well for positions. They would have people coming in from America and France and Germany and all these other different countries from the wizarding communities to work in England because there'd be such a demand for workers. That was the one thing that seemed a little... In addition, there's a mention here of a thousand galleons for having children. Hmm. You would think that more parents would be having more children, like every family would be Weasleys. Yeah, like, it's really bad. It's not... Yeah, it's not just that, like, they're banning abortion. They're banning contraception. (laughs) Like, that's a bad sign. Like, Laura Roslin yeah. didn't even do that. And they had like, the uh, freaking Holocaust. I mean, come on. Oh, speaking of, Ryan, have you picked up season 4.5 yet? I have not picked up 4.5 yet, but I do have the uh, soundtrack for both. 
I bought it today. I went to go put it on the shelf next to the others and smile at my complete collection, and I realized I never bought 4.0. <laughs> I have it alone, too. But, yeah, it's, um, it, like, even, like, you know, when there's a nuclear bomb that goes off, they don't ban contraception. Like, it's really, really, really bad. And, like, they even say, like, if we, if, if the teachers break the law and we strike, how do we know they're not going to be sacked and thrown in jail? They can't. There's a labor shortage. There's no one else to hire. <laughs> I'm like, wow, it's really bad. I wonder why the Americans don't be like, hey, you know what? I'll go work there. They're paying a good amount. So that was the one thing that um, jumped off there. But back to Mike's point. So, you, I mean, your original question was, is it the same Ginny? And I think we can have a, a really good debate on that. I just don't think that Ginny was personally, in her personality, affected by the lack of the fall of communism. It's not the same Ginny, because she never had the experience in the Chamber of Secrets. Mm-hmm. This is exactly. a very just different character. Say, yeah. So is Harry treating Draco in any way by going with this Ginny? And on the flip side, is he betraying Hermione? Well, it's something I said in last week's episode that got cut because I sounded like a duck, unfortunately, was <laughs> that from Harry's perspective, it's like the is he cheating question. And from Harry's perspective... And- I think actually Barb gives away through Harry's narration, which what's actually happening in the original world, where really Harry would have no idea. Um, did the it's like a Star Trek episode? Did the original timeline cease to exist the minute he altered it? And was it like Doc Brown, you know, where he goes back in time and changes something, and now we skew? Remember he had the dry erase board, and now we skew below it. It wasn't one of those things where the other Hermione, who is Harry's girlfriend, doesn't exist. The other Ginny doesn't exist. The other Draco doesn't exist. So they're not dating each other. So there's actually no left to you know betray or to to you know quote unquote cheat on or are those people in real time you know just like you know like just slightly out of phase with us and are they there and is harry actually betraying people and here's where we had the discussion about string theory yeah and i think like, it, well, with that though if the first is true yeah it was interesting when i was reading dumbledore i actually thought i actually liked and agreed with fake dumbledore more than i did with real dumbledore because I would think Dumbledore is lecturing Harry. I'm like, you go, Dumbledore. That's a really good point, man. I'm with you. Stop, <laughs> Harry. And then it turns out he was just lying to test Harry. Well, it's it's a real. She really milks the premise. I think for all it's worth, because there's like an episode. You know, Tim complains. I don't talk about Star Trek nearly enough. Um, episode of Star Trek <laughs> Deep Space Nine, where um, the, the the spaceship goes back in time 200 years and crashes. Yes, I'm, tr- I'm trying to break it down for everybody. The Defiant goes back in time and crashes on a big planet. So, in the, so the Defiant drives up to a planet, and there's all these people living on it who are their own descendants, because when they try and leave this planet, they're going to go back in time and crash and cause all these people to be born. So the question then becomes, they find a way to avoid going back in time, they avoid the crash and if they do that all of these people will cease to exist so do they owe it to these 8,000 people for the 50 of them to then go back in time and maroon themselves away from their families to create you know this community 200 years later and it's a question of you know are 50 lives worth 8,000 but those 8,000 never should have existed blah 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 what Barb does is really interesting what she says is okay I'm wiping out Will Flitwick I'm wiping out you know Prince Harry which is very sad you know very awful very very sad no Prince Harry went you know wiping out all of the you know the the, the squibs are, are are killed and you know Penelope Clearwater Ow. is brought back and and all of the straight across the board you know I'm wiping out all these people they never existed but in their place here's 
a lot of people that never existed in the other world who have life here. And is it worth it for me? You know, it doesn't then become letting the, you know, the old people come back to life. You actually have to wipe out the people that you created. So Harry really is playing God. And it comes down to, yeah, you know, is it, you know... Is it basically every man for himself? Yeah, the universe was here first, so it deserves to, to you know live because this one came second. Or is it whatever the hell Harry? Who does Harry like best? You know, and and you know, does he like the other universe because he has you know better options there? I mean, it, it comes down to it's a very interesting ethical question. Hey, for the first off, for those of you playing the Potterfic Weekly Drinking Game. T- Two Star Trek references, two shots. I had a third <laughs> one, but I didn't want to be rude. Where that's one of the major things where you have a time travel story. You have to deal with not just can you, but should you change the past or change the future. And it was really a spur of the moment thing for Harry. He wasn't thinking, you know, do I wipe? Am I wiping out everything I've known? I'm wiping out having to deal with all this crap. But he didn't realize, well, I may be digging up a whole bunch of new crap because if I stop. My mother from sacrificing myself, Voldemort never got, Voldemort never fell the first time. Then there's also the difficulty of the time paradox, which never seems to come up in these kinds of stories. You were talking about how dark these chapters get and how sort of angsty they get. And I was actually, at some point, I'm actually thinking to myself that in a certain way, they would be more angst-filled if all these characters weren't dying. Because to me, the fact that Lily dies, that his sister dies, that both of his brothers die, sort of takes out a lot of the temptation. Yeah. decision to, to go to the other world it sort of loses you know, so to erase this world and go back to the first world it almost loses a lot of its significance because at that point it's like everyone's dead so what the hell do I have to lose by well, you know, going back you know what though yeah. I was it's thinking of that you know it's like it shows that I mean to borrow from another thing we covered it's like it's a cornerstone of eight that that shouldn't have happened because all the people that were created by Harry's decision to change the past ceased to exist pretty soon eventually yeah, like, like, everyone after everyone in the whole planet wasn't supposed to exist after you know 1980, whatever it is. But I guess to me, like, I, I think his decision would have had a lot more emotional depth to it. I yeah, least some of them. I disagree, but I'll, I'll let me let me preface this by saying I read the thing before, and I'm one of the people too that before I'll admit I peeked ahead because I wanted to know when Harry would get back to his own timeline because I wanted to know how much farther I had to read. I was thinking of that earlier today. I was actually thinking of that. Okay, you take out Jamie, you take out Ginny, you take out the. Tw- Twins, you take out Lily. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, is it something where you're basically like literally torching? You, you make Dumbledore a bad guy for most of it. You're literally burning the world around him. Was that negative? And yeah, would it have been worse for Harry to have to walk back, you know, through that doorway to the old world and leave a crying pregnant Ginny behind? Let's say, or you know, yeah. what I mean? like what would you? And part of that is absolutely correct because, and it negates what I'm about to say. But you know what? He's going to go back to a world if he gets back. I want to spoil it for anyone. But if he gets back, he's going to get back to a world where preferably he's still dating Hermione, who he now doesn't love, where he loves Ginny, who will presumably still be alive and won't be... You know, presumably in love with him, she'll be in love with Draco Malfoy, and and, and you know the person who he shared those experiences with isn't going to be there anymore. And he's going to go back to a Snape who's civil to him, but isn't his dad. And James and Lily are still dead, and you know Percy still lost Penelope, and there's death everywhere. And Ooh, you know, death everywhere, I love it. <laughs> but you know, so even if he gets back, it's still going to start like a whole new level of angst and. Yes, it would be really awful. Let me put it this way. Would it have been stronger to see him have to pull away from from a sobbing pregnant Ginny to go back to a world where Ginny presumably doesn't love him? 
that would be stronger than what we have here. I'll give you that absolutely. What this does do is it does feed into the angst. We've had angst for, you know, however many chapters, 12 chapters so far, that Harry's in the wrong world and we have to fix things. And the longer he's here, the more the angst builds that we need to fix things, we need to fix things. And, you know, now we're at the point where the shit hits the fan. You know, Harry's going to jail, Lily's dead, you know, Jamie and Ginny are dead. It's getting worse and worse and worse. How is Harry going to do it? Would it have been weaker, on the other hand, if, if that level of angst wasn't building all the way back? Maybe. So I don't know. I mean, there's good points and there's bad points. I'll definitely give you that. Um, I would, well, you know what it is too? I knew that Ginny was going to die when I was reading this today. And when, um, they had the moment in, uh, Dumbledore's office before she gets pulled behind the wall, I'm like, oh crap, this is the last time Harry's ever going to see this Ginny. And that's really sad. So it hit me. And then I forgot that he sees her again later when Ron comes down. So that, and then I'm like, okay, this is the last time. And I knew her death was coming. And it was so understated. It's literally a letter from Snape in the middle of a chapter. By the way, your sister and girlfriend are dead. Didn't know how to tell you. Sorry. And it's really... How do you tell somebody like that, that you can't actually go see them? Yeah. There's there's no way. There's no way to do it gently. There's there's no way at all you can lessen the impact of that. So just say it. Yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a Harry Ginny fan, and these chapters actually reminded me why, for after Half-Blood Prince, I read some of the Harry Ginny fics, because I love the angst between them. I think Barbara's are great Ginny, and yeah. I think that, you know what, when I was reading Psychic Serpent, all I could think of is, you know what, Harry and Hermione work here. They're very mature characters, and they are obviously, Hermione's good for Harry here, because she's giving him what he needs, and Hermione's... Yeah, and, and you know what I mean? But it, it, like, it wasn't nauseating me. It, it, it was something which I could tell. You know what? It was fine. It wasn't this love affair, but it was fine. And I could see why Harry needed it and why it was good for him and he got to be a kid. Like, I, like, it, like, it's like relationships I've had that, you know, prior to the, to the one I'm about to get married in, in eight weeks. They were fine. They were nice. They were fun. They were fine. They were nothing special, but they were fine. And that's what Her- Hermione is. Hermione was helpful, good. You know, important, nurturing, fine. Whereas Ginny is something on a whole new level. So it's interesting that I was fine with Hermione all the way through, and now that he has this with Ginny, you can feel the different tone. So, you know what? I I really liked her Ginny, and it's and it hit me too. Like I think I was more upset that this Ginny died than this Harry was, because mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he seems like he's in that mode where like nothing is getting through to him. He's numb. Because so much has happened in such a short period of time. But I was a wreck the first time I read this and Ginny died because I knew that character was never going to... Well, and it was a Ginny that was never touched by evil, really. Um, she, she, you know, sure, the world was a little bit you know, bad. But until she died, it was basically, you know, she had a, a normal life. She never had to deal with a diary, never had to deal with that, had the fallout from that. She didn't have to deal with being Malfoy's, you know, girlfriend. You know, she was able to go straight to Harry for the most part. Arguably, the Ginny who had the experience with the Chamber of Secrets and the diary is a stronger person because of it. Oh, well, sure. that That's that's an argument that can be made, and it's a valid one. But I, I, still, there's something to be said for innocence, and um, that this character was untainted by evil and her innocence was intact whereas Ginny uh, Canon Ginny's innocence is taken at such a young age that it's really very much a tragedy and she's the reverse of the Ginny that you see in Canon in Canon you have the famous Harry Potter who Ginny you know, puts her <laughs> in the butter jar and here you see Harry Potter the, the, you know the, the creepy the nobody guy yep. who follows him around and you find out that she actually had, had a crush on him in the beginning and that wasn't like calling you know the sex offender registry but you know what in the very beginning 
you got the sense it was a complete role reversal, and I think that says the one thing it does is we talk about is this the same Ginny or you know did the you know the lack of the fall of the Soviet Union make her a weaker like you can talk about all those things, but what it shows is that regardless of where they come from, Ginny will always fall for Harry, and Harry will always fall for Ginny, which I think is a good statement to make you know it's just like with the 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 muggleborns you see them all do very well for themselves they're football stars and they're you know famous cellists and they know prince harry and i love that moment too harry harry you know harry you spoke to harry but you know they did well for themselves and and you know obviously yes they had a leg up they had magic but it also showed that they had this ability to excel which they also did in the canon too so it, it it's cool to show when you take characters out of their element and you and you tweak their backstories around a lot they still might end up in somewhat of the same place. So I thought that was a, a cool statement to uh, to make there. Well, as as it regards Ginny and and her innocence and so forth, I and and the relationship with Harry, I wonder how much of their emotional connection is actually due to the fact that Harry rescued her from the Chamber of Secrets, and yeah. she understands what it's like to have intimate contact with Voldemort. Yeah. A lot of a lot of that I feel is what makes them such a good couple in the canon and i don't know how much i like them being together without it present it's something that they definitely share but is it the only thing oh no it's not like is it well no i shouldn't say it that way very significant yeah but you know what if not one thing would it be another do you know what i mean like if for example let me put it this way there's events that happen in everybody's life that bring out personality traits that they possess and these traits may be sharpened over time and they may grow as the person evolves but if you're a particular type of person you're gonna you're going to um exemplify that and show that you know in certain situations so when harry is in the situation where Ginny's in the Chamber of Secrets, he is brave and he rescues her. And it's like you hear um, him say when Ginny's hit by the car, I would have taken anyone back to Hogwarts. I don't care if it's my worst enemy. I would do this for anybody. Yes, he ran a little bit faster because it was Ginny, but he would do that for anybody. And that's just the type of person that Harry is. And was there something in that person, you know, the perseverance following her around for four years, was there something that Ginny found attractive and found, you know, complimentary in the chamber that this Ginny would also find in him from observing him for four years. And don't forget, you know, she meets Harry on, you know, platform nine and three quarters, doesn't see him again for a year. He stops by her house for a couple of weeks, goes off to Hogwarts. He's the creepy guy who talks to snakes for the entire year. She's the depressed girl who needs Prozac writing in the, in the, in the diary. And all of a sudden he rescues her and she's in love forever. And, you know, now in this universe, she's got four years to observe him. Would she find something else? Um, I think it's possible. I think one thing, too, that we overlook at this is that Harry in this world wasn't the same Harry either. And that the Harry Ginny fell in love with is not the Harry Potter we know. They were a couple when Harry went into this world. She fell in love with a completely different Harry. And, well, we may be a little overlooking. Another comment I wanted to make, too, was I think sometimes also people overestimate the importance of Chamber of Secrets in their relationship. And it makes a nice kind of, like, storybook connection. But if you think about it, Harry doesn't start liking Ginny after, uh, you know, the Chamber of Secrets. In fact, he forgets that she was in, she was possessed at all. Like in, she, in book five, she's like, hey, Harry, you ever think of talking to me about this? Remember? And he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, well, it's not the kind of thing well, you I, want to think about. Well, but I, think, I think you could make an argument that that was actually never one of the central connections. That's more just like a side thing. But another way to look at it, too, is that if maybe it is the same Ginny, and the difference we see 
it is the difference of her background so much as the difference between Harry and Draco. And the reason she's so much less willing with Draco is that subconsciously, she doesn't realize it, but subconsciously, she doesn't have the same emotions for Draco that Ginny has in this world for Harry, that they're not at the same extent. And if Ginny felt about Draco the way she feels about Harry, they would be having sex. And, even, and the question for P.S. is this. Uh, I was just curious if she's the only girl on this podcast. You know, lately, it used to be all girls and almost no guys when I first started it. Now it's like, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but since P.S. is the only girl here... I, I was just curious what your reaction, both emotionally and what you would actually do, if you were had been in a situation with Ginny, as in with like a Harry Potter type person, like stalking you for four years, running around. Would you a ever have been anything like cheated to him with her friends? Could you see yourself in that situation? B, how you would have handled them? Whether you would have put up with them and squashed them early? Like, how would you have handled the situation? I actually, when I was reading, I was thinking he sounded like a creep. So I think it didn't really ring. I don't know. I, I would say it didn't really ring true to me because I know there are definitely girls that might be, like, charmed by this, but definitely not me, if that's what you're asking. You know, I feel like, what would you, how would you have handled that situation? Like, if you were Jenny, what would you do in this situation happening to them? Tell him no, get someone, like, tell an adult. Well, the thing about it, too, is if you think about it, she's got how many older brothers at this school, including one on staff? You have to imagine that. Yeah, Ron, tell, tell, get, get a brother, God. But get, no, but no. The thing is, too, to pound him. she would have though. You know, even if the the Weasley brothers have never been known for asking Ginny's permission before taking action. So Ron, no you know, undoubtedly has been making comments to Harry for years to leave his little sister alone. Charlie, at some point, like Harry says in these chapters or in the previous chapters, likely got close to Harry just to you know keep an eye on him. So it, it's well known. These are very loud, emotional people. People who love Ginny who know this. Unlike but Harry. Harry. But Harry keeps it up. And, he, and, and the thing is, it's. I don't want to like you know condone it because I know people who do this can be very creepy. But the deal is, is that if you think of Harry's character in the story, he's like I'm playing Half Blood Prince game right now, and I've got the you know McLagan guy from Half Blood Prince, the one who's following Hermione around. He's a jackass. You know, Harry is, from everything I can understand here, he's probably a shy kid. He's not incredibly outgoing. I mean, he's friends with Draco Malfoy, but when you're standing next to Draco Malfoy, you're probably always going to be the quiet kid in the group. And he has a crush on the popular pretty girl. And he follows her around. Now, it does state that he follows her around extensively. Like, she, he always knows where she is at all times. The thing is, too, is Ginny also is attracted to him back. But if Ginny wanted to stop it, Ginny could have stopped it easily. But you wonder if the fact that Harry perseveres through, you know, the entire gang of older brothers ready a pound on him, you know, means something to Ginny as well. So it's... P.S. would go to the authorities is what it sounds like. P.S. would go to an adult. You know, I was just saying what he says makes sense about the brothers. I mean, obviously, I don't have that experience, so it's not what jumped to my head right away. But I think Ginny, she probably could have stopped it if she wanted to. And the fact that she didn't stop it means she didn't want to stop it, though. That's fine if that floats your boat, Ginny. Yeah, I know these chapters were up last week, too, but it was absolutely heartbreaking, too, when she totally steps on Harry's heart and they play the joke on him and then they're talking about him and he's standing right there and he's crying on the steps. I mean, Harry cries in this fic more than Bill Adama does in the entire fourth season of Battlestar Galactica. So Harry is very emotionally grounded in this story. So I just don't get the sense that he's, you know, like the, the football jock who's, you know, harassing the girl. I get the sense he cries at Oprah. 
Well, this is a Harry who's grown up with a family who he knows cares about him and who mm-hmm. he knows care would do anything for him. In the canon, he's had to pretty much steel himself against a, fam- against a family. They love each other, but they make his, their contempt for him very well known. So mm-hmm. you're dealing with a Harry here where the perseverance aspect is em- emphasized rather than in canon where the self-sacrificing part of his personality seems to be more emphasized. I can picture him on the couch at Hog's End watching Lifetime television for women with Jamie on one side of him, Lily on the other side, and a huge tub of popcorn. I'm thinking he's very grounded and he's a much more emotionally centered character than, than what we see. And there's even a great line here. I think it's when he's in the jail cell. He begs for a shower because he's like, I can even tell I'm getting ripe. Like, Harry even gets the fact that there's some things he just doesn't get. Like, he's bad at picking out people in disguises and he's bad at emotions. But in this universe, I think he does okay before September 1st. And that's kind of cool, too, because it's like Harry, when he thought this universe was totally fine, you know, he's one person. And then when all the old memories get dumped into his head on September 1st, does he become more emotionally stilted because now he has, like, the orphan in him? Like, it, it's it's really interesting the way Barb does it, where all of a sudden one day he's walking down the street and he becomes, like, a morphed character, so to speak. I, I, I just really like Well, that. I, I think, think that brings up an interesting ethical dilemma, and it's like what happened to the Harry he replaced. It reminds me a lot of Nightmares, Nightmares of the Future's Past. Where Harry goes in the past and essentially erases his 11-year-old self. It's like they're, for a while they're both existing in the same body, and then they, they like merge or whatever. So it's yeah. like well, this is a way to do it well, and I don't mean to say it wasn't done well there, but you know, for what was supposed to be a blended character in Nightmare Futures Past, it was thirty-year-old Harry and you know, eleven-year-old Harry's body. The thing that makes this different is we're going ahead, we're charging into year six, we're not repeating earlier times. What made this fic really strong was the fact it's the second fic in a series and not the first, because we've established the relationship with Hermione, the, the issues that it has with the relationship with Ron. Because because Barb has made Draco Malfoy such an accessible character and moved that character so far from Goblet of Fire, because all this groundwork has been laid, I feel like I'm actually missing a universe here. I miss Sandy the Psychic Serpent, only because the entire series is named after Sandy the Psychic Serpent. You know what I mean? So I, I really like the fact that just what we're saying here is prefaced by something that came before it because if this was just you know your regular Harry Potter fan fiction and chapter one Harry went back in time I wouldn't care because Barb really put her stamp on the old universe before she left Back up something I said, Sal's prophecy. Well, first, it's not Sal's. It's, that would be Sandy. Sal's is uh, a year like not other snake. Remember in the prophecy at start, it was his brother who will turn on him. So it makes me think, okay, we now have established Harry like Jimmy. He's going to go back to the real world, or his like, you know what I mean, like the original world. Mm-hmm. He's going to deal with those girls, Jimmy. And something else that occurs, if Harry wouldn't have the obedience curse because... Um, obviously, Willie resisted that and cursed me that Draco still has no power. And the Draco in the second world that Harry goes back to would rather die than help Harry. So that if Voldemort would, ne- Voldemort would probably be too smart to order him to shoot Harry, because if he did, Voldemort would Draco would refuse him to cost his life and Voldemort would lose power. But on the flip side, if Harry goes back and steals Draco's girl, Cassandra's prophecy... Uh, close enough, close enough. No, it's Cassandra, Sandy for short. If he steals Janice and Draco, 
what motivation does Draco really have to stay on the light side? And if Voldemort gives him an order to be obedient first, you know, attack Harry, is Draco really going to be willing to sacrifice his life to protect the person who stole the love of his life? Can I just ask you a question? Did you not read the third story? I'm, I'm actually asking. I thought you read it by accident. That's the whole thing. I, re- I read like five chapters of it. Okay, so you haven't read the whole thing. Okay. Those I just want to group- point out that Mike was trying to interpret prophecy for us. Without having read it, which really <laughs> if we, If he gets back tomorrow, and that Draco as we left him at Mrs. Pig's house, has it put before him, shoot Harry Potter or die. You know, he might be conflicted a year ago. I'm sure he would have shot Harry Potter and wouldn't have thought anything of it, but he's a different character now. Is the only thing that keeps him on the quote-unquote side of light Ginny? I'm sure at some point it is. At some point, will there be more there? Will Harry disappoint him and maybe he'll get over it? Will... Harry disappoints him and he'll turn back. I, to be honest, I honestly can't remember, but I'm sure it'll be very interesting when we get there. I'm not saying that, you know, I don't think the great go as he left him would kill Harry. There were some really hysterical lines in these chapters and in the chapters before. Um, a couple of them I just want to mention really fast. There was the one where Harry is trying to make up the lie as to why he seems very nervous by the fact that Jenny fell down the stairs. Just on the spot, he makes up the story about how if only I had been stalking her, none of this would have happened and Dumbledore is like that's a nice story that makes sense you mean McGonagall what did I say Dumbledore well if she married him she would be Professor Dumbledore Dumbledore is gay so that's not going to happen you never know Harry makes the comment that you can't apparate in and out of Hogwarts so how did Ginny get back here if she were apparated from you know London or whatever have you read Hogwarts a history yes I have and there's a moment Thumping, thumping good, good book. <laughs> I thought that was hysterical. Like, thumping good I love that one. And there was a great line, too. It was when Ron and Ginny have to get put into hiding, and Ron is, like, apoplectic, and he's like, you and my sister spent the night in the Quidditch locker rooms. He's like, did you shag my sister? And Harry's like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And Ginny's like, listen. I seduced him. I seduced him. <laughs> and Harry's like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And then <laughs> Lily, with the one of the best lines in the entire thing, was, I don't care if my son shagged a goat. I want my son back. My other son. Son. The missing son. Who else was thinking of Aberforth in that moment? <laughs> Harry's like, she doesn't actually think you're a goat, and all Ginny can be thinking of is, we get through this, she's the mother-in-law from hell. Yeah. <laughs> Fine, before you leave, I have two political questions for you. Uh, yeah. all right. no, I didn't know I was leaving right now, but carry on. <laughs> He's talking oh. you off his pot. <laughs> I, I have all these questions for Ryan. I, want, I don't know when you're leaving, but I want to make sure I get them to you. So, two questions. First question, it, it does involve Dumbledore, actually. And I'm wondering, as I read this, with him not actually ever leaving Hogwarts, Wards, would it have been better for him to actually never have resigned the position? Because I almost feel by him going into hiding, he doesn't actually accomplish anything by, by you know, protesting the Muggleborns this way, but he definitely weakens the side of the light. And my flip side is, one thing I found very interesting, and as I'm reading this, all I'm thinking is, oh my god, I can't wait to see what Ryan says in this. Oh my god, I can't see what, wait to see what Ryan says in this. Like, I literally said that out loud. I feel so loved. People were wondering like, who Ryan is. He, he's, he's the crouch stuff. And in particular, this whole idea about Crouch is one of the more interesting and multifaceted characters in this bit. My bladder's been playing up again. <laughs> I spent so much time in this toilet, I'm thinking of sending out change of address cards. Because on the one hand, we have this guy who's clearly trying to use Harry to bolster his position in the ministry. And he's clearly sort of like using Harry as like sort of the worst political son. And we have the Crouch we know from before canon who's kind of like this, like, you don't really like him kind of guy. Dumbledore, someone brings up at some point, he's like, to we don't want Crouch to fall because Crouch falls, it's going to be even worse. Yeah, as bad as he, as he is, we don't want him to win, but we don't want him to lose horribly because look what could take his place. So I guess my question for Ryan, one, what do you think of Dumbledore staying in Hogwarts and then on Crouch? Oh, thank God. I forgot what your first question was already. I, 
I would like to compare Dumbledore's resigning and going undercover with the brilliant political strategy of the brilliant strategist that is Sarah Palin. Dumbledore found he couldn't lead the Order of the Phoenix. They don't call it the Order. I think they call it the Old Guard. My operatives, quote-unquote. But he couldn't do his night job because he had too many TPS reports to fill out. So I think what you saw happen was Dumbledore, <laughs> quote-unquote, retired and in his spare time, you know, patrolled the corridors and led an undercover paramilitary movement. So I think, and he also thought he would spend more time with his family and give some political speeches and help rebuild the future of the Republican Party. If you had the press out to get you, you'd retire too. Sarah Palin is ridiculous, but we'll go into that later. Go ahead, Mike. What's that question too? All right. So my crowd question has a few subparts to it. One, I guess, what do you think of him as a politician and his ability to actually hold things together? Are you sort of disappointed that he does a bad job, or do you actually think, considering the circumstances and Voldemort in play, that it's actually kind of impressive that he manages to hold this coalition together? Um, a second sub-question would be, what do you think of him as a man? Do you think he's doing more good than negative? Well, first of all, he's, my, well, he's a cre- well, hang on, too many questions. He's Number one, he's a creep. He's supposed to be a creep. You know, I don't think he's multifaceted at all. I think he's a jackass. Bugger me. You could get someone killed for that. Number one, he suspects his son's a death eater, and he's not doing anything because he doesn't want to lose his job. Number two, as a politician, you know, I think the fact that he tries to put himself in the limelight you know, strengthens his position on some level, so it makes him look good when, when things go well. I think I cannot stop picturing the weird priest guy that got to play him in the movie. Previously on Vicar of Dibley, by the way, really threw me off because I'm staring at him going, who's the guy who has to shit all the time? He looks familiar, and it turned out it was Bobby Crouch. Not that I want the company or anything, though it might be nice to hear a human voice on Christmas Day. Since I've spent every Christmas alone since my uncle died in the year they introduced decimal currency. <laughs> You have to come, of course, because I know I'm a misery, though I have got a lot of love in my heart, as any of my cows will tell you. (laughs) If they could talk, which they can't, which is a shame in one way, and a bloody relief in another. So what do you say? Join me at Christmas lunch for the first time since 1971, or reject me. Just like I've been rejected every day by everyone ever since I was born. What do you say? <laughs> I say yum yum in my tum. Wait, what are you talking about? Are you Barty Crouch, Crouch Jr. or Brody Crouch Sr.? Senior. Okay. Okay, thank God. Thank God. I, I, God. I, was, I, I was I was. She thought I was going after David. She thought I was going after David. She thought I was going after David Tennant. Because that is not acceptable, Ryan. She thought I was going after Dave. I'm calling him Dave. I hope you don't mind. Like I said, I think he's a jackass, and I think that he, he'll he do whatever he asks to hold on to his business. He's like Fudge. He's Fudge of the kid. I mean, there's no real difference. And, and Harry, by the way, is a great trial attorney. I thought he did an excellent job in the very beginning. Yeah. Until, unfortunately, he lost. And I honestly, I think that... The betrayal of Ron there was done very well, and I actually didn't think I would like it tonight because I couldn't remember why the hell he did it because I, I had misremembered the whole part about Dumbledore trying to take Harry's knees out from under him. I thought that... And, but here's the thing. It's not bad writing. It's not out of character. Dumbledore got to Ron and said, you can save lives by doing this, and you can help Harry by doing this. And Ron's like, oh, all right, let's do it. 
And that makes sense because this isn't a Ron that has great history with Harry. Yes, he just saved his, his life, and, and that's a wonderful thing. But if it were Ron Weasley from the original world and Dumbledore said, I need you to do this, he would have told Dumbledore to pound sand, I'm helping my friend, and that would have been it. So I thought that made sense given the fact that they were friends for just a brief period of time. And I just would like to point out that we've determined in a previous podcast that Madamer's Murtha uh, suffers from vaginal dryness, and she's just a very angry, bitter woman throughout most of Psychic Serpent. Can I just say that Frank and Gemma Longbottom also need prescription medication, because (laughs) they are just, not only are they one-dimensional jackasses, but they're like the worst cops ever, because they leave the murder suspect and you know the supposed death either in disguise with wands while they go over turn their backs and stare at the body of the deceased i love the long bottoms on this fic it's it's such a great idea that she had to make them just these total asses <laughs> yeah because you'd never think of that because you think in in this because in the series they're awesome and Anyway, I just I love the long bottoms on this pick. As much as they are just total asses, it was such a great character decision. It's great it were- redirection. It's great redirection because all you see of them in the series is that they got shot, they're collecting disability, and they like gum wrappers. And from right. that, we, we, we determine they are beautiful people, <laughs> and they give to the needy, and all the stuff that we have no means for guessing. It struck me as a rather blatant excuse to give Snape an excuse to how utterly terrible he's been to Neville in the canon. Maybe this is just me, but it's fairly transparent. Well, that threw me off, because in, this, cause in canon... They're around the same age as the Potters, or they're my, they're somewhat contemporaries to James and Lily. Yeah, no, it is that that is fanfic. I read some. Neville and Harry were born the same year, so you'd assume it. But in this story, they take out Snape's parents when Snape is fourteen. Is that correct? Something like that, fifteen, fourteen. So they would need to be. Well, I guess it doesn't have to be that much. They could be five years older. And they could be twenty when they're I don't doing think it's it. that implausible that they're older. I mean, Lily and yeah. James had had Harry like the year after. No, they that's left true school. because so I yeah, think the, the Longbottoms could definitely be older. That's true. They could just be five years older. They could have been twenty or twenty-two when they did it. That actually makes sense. Especially since Augusta seems to be a contemporary of Minerva. That that makes sense too. Well, in the story, too, so I actually Molly, would assume they're older. Molly and Arthur are like pushing eighty, aren't they? Because I was born in 1928. What? I'm doing math in my head. I'm like, this doesn't seem right. No, they weren't. Nope, how much fun Brian has at math. Well, no, because I keep forgetting what damn year the thing takes place. And I'm like, okay, if Molly's still alive... Well, no, because I keep doing the thing where if Harry's alive now, he's 30. So I'm just like, hmm. Yeah, I strongly disagree with him on his analysis. The long bottoms because the two characters were supposed to, to a certain extent, dislike them because... They're after Harry, and Harry's a hero, and we all love Harry, and that's all well and good. But but I actually, I have a lot of sympathy for them as characters in this story, because if you think of the situation in the world they're in, you have Voldemort on one side, and everything's going to hell in a handbasket, because you have Voldemort subverting all the laws on his side, 
And if you assume there's an order of the piece, which we're not really quite sure if there is, there's basically like, a vigilante group outside of the law taking matters in their own hands to fight Voldemort. Being I'm talking about the canon of the universe. To me, what they, what they embody, they sort of, like, almost like kind of like those cliche Western movies. They have the guys, they're out on a limb, there's nothing to back them up whatsoever. And so the only thing they can do to keep themselves sort of pure and from becoming as bad as the bad guys is they have this code, moral code, which doesn't bend, and they stick to it. And sometimes, because the world is in black and white, by sticking to this code, that it comes off, you know, from our perspective as bad. Like, they're doing things they shouldn't be doing because they should be able to bend and see shades of gray. But to them, because the world is so chaotic, the only thing they have to hold to is this code, is the law. So they hold to the law no matter what, and they put their faith fully in the law. And that's the reason why, you know, the horror program, to their eyes, is like a thin line that's all that's separating the world from completely collapsing into sort of chaos. And so they have to take this sort of firm stand and ignore the gray. And also for Ryan, my last part of my crouch question was, then to your mind, is the step if, if we assume Harry wasn't going back in, um, to, to his world, it's a step that the life has to take is they can't continue to put up with the ministry as sort of like this middle ground between Voldemort and war. Cause they actually have to almost, you know, overthrow um, Crouch and say, there's not going to be a middle ground. It's going to be the light or uh, Voldemort. The QC Crouch is something that's just weakening the side of the light and putting off an inevitable struggle. I think that Crouch is just, he's part of the broken system, and he's hes uh, Fudge before him, and he's whoever the dope was before Fudge. I don't, I don't see Crouch as a very three-dimensional character at all. I really don't think he was meant to be a three-dimensional character. Um, and if Harry found out that he were stuck in that world forever, if his wand, his true wand was broken and he had no way of getting back... What differentiates this Harry and Barb's universe, or the ability of this Harry to to get the job done versus you know him and the Harry in our universe, is that he has no support network. Ginny's dead, his sister's dead. He ha- and what we were saying earlier, you know, it's an awful universe. Everyone dies. He has his dad and he has Draco, and that's significant because they're two of his biggest allies he could ever hope to have in this universe, uh, Snape and, and Draco. But you have Sirius is his godfather. And in canon, the fact that he's his godfather means something huge. It, it, it is one of the most important things in Harry's life. If I ask everyone in this call, who's your godfather, you might have to think about it for a second, because you might not remember. Because I'll have one. It, yeah, it's, it's all Harry has. And that means something. In this universe, he's got mom, he's got dad, he's got 27 siblings. Oh, Sirius is my godfather. And it's just, you know, his dad's friend, and I'm sorry, it's his, you know, late father's friend, his mom's friend, his mom's very special friend. And, you know, it's the guy who, who it's my professor at school and my head of house, but he doesn't have that, that real great relationship with them. And what's very telling is that Draco and Snape refuse to betray Harry in the trial. Sirius and Ron do. And he doesn't have an extensive relationship with Ron. It's still new there. So that can be, can't be forgiven, but it can be explained away. The fact that Sirius betrays him, that is huge. That's, I think, much more important than the fact that Ron does it. Your thoughts on the Longbottoms? What about the Longbottoms? Your thoughts on them? Your thoughts? I think they're incredibly one-dimensional. I think that I can understand what you're... Look, I understand what you're saying. I don't believe that Barb is saying that... Because think of it this way. The um, the death of Lily is directly linked to the fall of Voldemort. You can't have one without the other. For Voldemort to fall, Lily must die. Jim, Edith Keeler must die. Everyone take a shot. Man can make a difference. Yes. Insert sound clip. 
I believe I'm in love with Edith Keeler. Jim, Edith Keeler must die. There can be only one. <laughs> um, okay. No, not mm-hmm. that one. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll use that one, too. And can we please get the truck noise from when Bones tries to run out into the street? That was nice. No, no Jim! But the incapacitation of Frank and Gemma, or whatever the hell her name is. Alice Gemma. Alice. Well, no, in this one, it's Gemma. You know, yeah. in, in, in this story, you could have had Lily live, and you could also have had the long bombs die, or vice versa. So I don't believe that in the regular universe, if Lily had died as she was supposed to, and then Harry, like, you know, charged from Godric's Hollow and saved, you know, Frank and Gemma. I don't believe with the fall of Voldemort they would have been jackasses, maybe as much. Maybe there are reasons why they've become the people they are as a result of the fact that Voldemort's still around 15 years later. But the thing is, too, they're not Jack Bauer. They're not running around, you know, breaking laws and breaking bones because they're holding the world together. They're absolutely idiots. And they're just, they suck at what they do. I mean, they, they don't listen. They, they are so obsessed with what they think is right that they're ignoring clear facts directly in front of them. There is the part about where they turn their backs on the suspected murderer and the suspected dark wizard in disguise who have wands to kneel down and stare at the fallen friend because they suggest, hey, why don't you go over there for a minute? I mean, they're absolute idiots. <laughs> so I could understand if they were like Jack Bauer and they were running around and they were holding the world together and, and they didn't care who got hurt, but they're absolute idiots. And that's why I don't think too highly of their characters. Before we get too far away from what we were talking talking about a little while ago about Crouch as the minister and so forth and what Dumbledore's been doing. I have a really pertinent question. Why isn't Dumbledore minister? He retired? Um, Yeah, he didn't want to be minister because he would rather go teach. But if he feels that he can't keep teaching, I mean, you would think he would seek out a position of authority where he would have... Dumbledore does not trust himself. No, no, that's not why he's not minister in canon. In canon, the story is, you know, originally that's what he wanted to be when he was a kid, is he wanted to be minister. And him refusing the minister... Keep in mind when this story was written, though. We only had four books of canon, so all we know is that Dumbledore was offered the position of minister and he turned it down because he wanted to go teach. Well, that's you don't really see why. We don't really know. Until, until we find the backstory, we don't know why exactly he turns it down. He doesn't know he turns it down in favor of teaching. We don't know like, the details of his motivation. It just seems to me that he could do a lot more good as minister for magic than he can as Davy White the caretaker. Well, and, and let's be clear, too, here. When did they bring the... the I'm doing math in my head. All right, so the timelines diverge in 1981. Yep. In the mid to late 80s, they bring about the Muggleborn Protection Act, or whatever the hell they call it, where they ban Muggleborns from getting their Hogwarts letters. And that takes effect in 1988. So that's a good six years later. Kind of stupid, since it's playing, playing right into Voldemort's hands. Dumbledore has always been a crappy politician. He got, he got steamrolled by Dolores Umbridge because he didn't see the dark clouds forming and he left himself politically vulnerable so that he got taken out in order of the Phoenix. If Dumbledore ran for office in 1982, when we're still close enough to the original timeline that he could have made a difference, 
I'd agree, but if it's 1987, God knows how much power Voldemort pulled by then, how much sway Voldemort had by then. He obviously had enough power through Malfoy to get Muggleborns banned, so if Dumbledore had political capital, he could have used it then to squash that, and he obviously couldn't. I always get the impression from this fic that Dumbledore maybe felt that he could do more as in a kind of a low-profile position than he could uh, as Minister of Magic. As Minister of Magic, his his location is known. He's a high-profile target. As... Uh, Davy Jones, the gra- the Davy Jones, whatever it is, Davy, <laughs> Davy, whatever it is. <laughs> yes, there we go. As the ground, as 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 the um, as the caretaker. I know his name, you idiot, man. Mike, oh, sorry. Mike, don't even start. Davy White. Davy White. Oh, my bad. Sorry, nice I, I got the, I, got, the I said the wrong generic last name. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> the caretaker. He has this position where he can kind of. He's taking kind of long view. He can look for uh, future recruits. He can um, he can keep an eye on Hogwarts and make sure things don't get too bad there. He's also close in touch with some of his operatives, for example, Snape um, and Sirius. That's um, all um, kind of yes. P.S. Dumbledore is a pirate. He absolutely is excellent. Um, <laughs> you know, for that, I just think that as minister, he could do things like get the ban on Muggleborns reversed. I just think there's a lot of good that he could do that he couldn't necessarily do his head. Could you picture Dumbledore doing the rest, though? Could you picture Dumbledore testifying before the wise and gamut over the exchange rates of the goblins and cutting the ribbon at the local market basket? I think the description in canon is that he was asked to be minister something like three times. I get the the impression that one of those times may have been when Millicent Bagnold last stepped down, which would have been when Fudge ascended to the office. If Crowd is instead the heir apparent, as they mention in Book Four. Wouldn't they ne- not necessarily call on Dumbledore then? When they just say, "Crouch, you're our man." If Dumbledore wanted it, probably could have had it. Yeah. Well, I'm and I'm saying he didn't want it. There's no way he wanted it. Right. Yeah. And I think he waited too long. I suspect he waited too long. Yeah. Well, the thing is, Dumbledore is the only one Voldemort ever feared. I think that would play very heavily into any sort of campaign. Could you picture Dumbledore seriously with soft ads? <laughs> like hard money. Dumbledore for hard England. Hard. Well, I think the answer to that, Ryan, is obviously we don't know, and specifically why he turns it down, but I don't find the explanation in canon shocking. Like, you were talking in canon, like how he doesn't play the umbrage. I don't think it's that he can't. I think he purposely chooses not to fight. Alright, I have two words for you. Sex tape. Ew. <laughs> I have no idea why he doesn't want to be T-M-I. T-M-I. Sorry. <laughs> Where was that brain bleached him? Here. <laughs> Thank you. You can and maybe you get to a different interpretation, but my interpretation after reading the series is that early on he is ambitious and he makes this conscious turning, this, you know, after the whole Grindelwald, whatever his real name is, which I forget. He makes Got it right, actually. I know. I, wish, I didn't know what you were talking about. I'm so used to you calling him Grindelwald. No, you call, you call him Grimald. Uh, he calls Grimald Grindelwald. He calls Grimald Place Grindelwald Place. He calls <laughs> number thirteen Grindelwald Place, and Dumbledore defeated Grimald in the Battle of 1945. So. You know, I think my interpretation was after the whole thing with his sister dying, he makes this conscious choice. He's never going to go down that path of political power. That it was his thirst for sort of political recognition that caused her death. So he because he doesn't trust that. himself with it. Well, there you go. That's why he ended up in 1987. I'll make a Lord of the Rings reference. 
over me, and then also to over me, the ring went out of power, too terrible to be, uh, whatever thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's the same thing that it's tempting for us to say Dumbledore should take the position because from there he has so much power to do it. But I think it's the same, it's the same reason Gondol doesn't take a ring, that Dumbledore doesn't take position because he's worried that he's going to take position out of positive motives. But once he has that position, he's going, he doesn't trust himself not to go down this path, almost a crouch path, where he starts to abuse that power in the name of What was the original question? Why was Dumbledore not the minister now? Yes. Uh, maybe because of that. Yeah, well, all he needed to do was have Snape kill him, and there's the problem solved, so. I know this is probably nothing really ever came of this timeline-wise, but in the very first chapter of Philosopher's Stone, Dumbledore says we've had precious little to celebrate these last 11 years. Meaning Voldemort must have been on the rise for quite some time. Meaning he had probably had a significant power base. For all we know, he was at peak of his power before a 15-month-year-old baby ended up taking him out of the equation. I I still insist there's just Dumbledore sex tape, and that's why he never chose to run. He's like Colin Powell. Why doesn't he ever run? Or it could be, or it could be all that stuff that Rita ended up dragging out of the closet after well, well, he was dead. Let's try not to use the phrase "out of the closet" if at all possible. So, let's move. Let's move on to let's move on to other things. Parts of the story. That was completely I, I inadvertent. I apologize. I just, yeah, I have a random question, not related to anything really i just mm-hmm. where is moody in this age i was wondering that because Maybe at one F- point dumbledore looks so old he looks like moody i'm like did he become like a vacuum cleaner sales actually the they did have the line in it that dumbledore looked and had never looked so old uh right at oh, the actual it's uh it's coming up tennis right. balls there was a significant glance there was a significant glance speaking of significant glances why didn't anyone just put a memory charm on Professor Binns? That's a good point. <laughs> Harry has you know, time to cast impediment curse. <laughs> you know what they really should have done? Yet. And I hate to say it, but it really would have shown how far Harry's come as a character if he walked over and shot him. Yeah. <laughs> And you know that's what I mean? just blew my mind about the whole scene. It's like, okay, you you slowed him down. That's great. Stun him. Throw your invisibility cloak over him, because I know you keep it in your pocket all the time. Mm-hmm. And take him to your dad or your godfather. Even if you're walking down the hallway to pay those sack. Even if you don't want to risk messing him up permanently, although he's a Death Eater, I don't know why you care, and you want to do the memory charm right, take it to someone who knows. I mean, just Harry not thinking in this situation irritated. Did Harry think he was not perdive at that point? Or yes, he knew. He knew he was a Death Eater. Yes. Five words. The plot says so. Well, first of all, let's clear up a couple of things. Unfunded mandate is two words, not one big word. Oh, that's four words. Dumbledore, he never mentions bins to anybody oh, else. Okay, sometimes in stories, Barb does a really good job of dropping foreshadowing. She drops the foreshadowing in the very first or second chapter of Psychic Serpent that Dudley has been visited at school. Hermione, I know, in Psychic Serpent was checking out the cello. She obviously knows where the story is going and progressing. The one plot device which I didn't like was when Harry keeps things from the audience. He pulled oh. the mask down, and it was a Hogwarts teacher. Good God, I can't believe it's him, but I can't tell you who he is. That's in my notes too, Ryan. It's like every single thing in the world runs through Harry's head. Why not the name? <laughs> it got redacted. 
Because the plot says so. That was not. I'm not arguing with you. Yeah, I know. That was a rare example of uh, of just weak writing. And like, I, honestly, it wasn't that big of a reveal. <laughs> like, it's, like if it was McGonagall, I could see it. But yeah, what's the last right. person you'd ever expect? I mean, Bins, who drones for hours and hours about Goblin rebellions. He's a Death Eater. Well, I actually Whiskey really Tango like- Foxtrot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I liked. <laughs> Very nice, Tim. I, I really liked uh, Lily's explanation of that. Why do you think he only ever talks about Goblin Rebellion? I know, isn't that great? Dark wizards and such. You know what would be really great? I saw this really crappy sci-fi movie. I think I've told this story in the podcast before. It was a really crappy sci-fi movie. Take a shot. It took place in an airport in like Alaska or somewhere, and the airport was snowed in. It was this very small airport. It had uh, Lita from Deep Space Nine, the Dabo girl. She ran the airport, and it had had this older woman who worked with her at the, at the counter. She was like Faye from Wings. There was a married couple, I think, and there was a single guy, and there was an old man, and there was like two 12-year-old kids. And the plot line was you found out that apparently there were like aliens here who were masquerading themselves as people. And they suspected that it was the guy, then they suspected it was Leah, then they suspected it was someone else. And and finally they found out if you stick the person in like the X-ray machine for the luggage, you can tell putting them in it when they scan through that this is actually not a human being. So they stick everyone through and finally I think Faye, the old lady, turns out to be an alien and she blows the machine up and all that stuff. So then you're getting near the end of the movie and one of the characters says to the married couple, just Get the hell out of here. Get your kids and get the hell out of here. And they're like, what do you mean, get get our kids? We don't have kids. And because there's these two twins, like 12-year-old twins. And they're like, because all through the movie, you think they're the young couple, it's their kids. I thought they were your kids. I thought they were your kids. I thought they were your kids. And it turns out the kids were the aliens the whole time. It was like one of those moments where I was really waiting for a moment to come where someone in the story was like, there were never any goblin revolutions, <laughs> which we've been reading about in canon all this time. Like, what do you mean he teaches that? Then they cut to Ben's. He's got like the knife behind his back or something. Like that. I will say this much: I never kind of got how goblins that are apparently all used to rebel are now in charge of the money. Like, couldn't they just shut down the money at any time they wanted to? Yeah, th- I never got that. Well, when we think about it too, I was I was thinking like Harry gets muggle money from them. This is probably something Voldemort wishes he could keep track of. <laughs> there seems to be no check in exchanging muggle money for wizarding money and wizarding money for muggle money. But it's pretty clear in this story that Voldemort has no control over the Goblin. We'll give him time. Oh, can I just tell you something? I just got my MBA. I just graduated a few weeks ago. I was oh, hanging in there. Oh, thanks. I actually Thanks, forgot friends. I graduated. Oh, thank you. I forgot I graduated. They mailed me my diploma. I'm like, oh, look at that. I graduated. But the one thing was I stuck in there with Draco during Psychic Serpent, and I actually followed the entire thing on the Goblin Exchange rates, and that just absolutely cracked me up that Draco's lost everything he's ever had in the original timeline, but he's pissed about the Goblin Exchange rates. And then even Harry's like, oh my god, I have no money. I'm poor now. My parents have all my money. They never gave it to me. And they bought this house. Of course they bought this house. Why would they take a mortgage? The exchange rates would kill them. We must be poor. <laughs> like, it just cracked me up. <laughs> The logic like you know what I wonder, speaking of which, I mean, all the muggles, my reading is that because they, they had magic, that they were sort of repressing, it came out so they all became sort of leading citizens in the real world because they had like a sort of boost to their talents. That was how I read it anyway. You know, like each one of them is famous, basically. So I read that their magic power lets them become famous in the muggle world. And my only one thinking that if I had the choice to be like 
rich and famous muggle or like persecuted and <laughs> shot. And I don't really give a damn. If you keep your magic, I'll stay famous and rich in the muggle world. And you guys can have your pure. Like, like, why do they all want to like abandon their world and like become persecuted minorities in the world? If I found out I could fly, I would look into it. I mean, I'd look into it once I find out what the deal was. I'd be like, hell no, I'll keep my million dollars in my world tank. Hermione doesn't give up her million dollars. She looks. At, if I found out I could start fire by thinking, I would take a course. Which well, too, if there was a crazy wizard with like no nose who was trying to put you in a concentration camp. Well, he, they don't let him do the well, tours though. They, has like, a, do, like Voldemort in this story has an incredible outreach program available. They have form letters and they try and buy you shit. They have a wonderful. It's it's <laughs> much better than the bullhorn system. You have one hour. Uh, I mean, he's got an entire. He, it's like seriously, he has administrative assistance. He's that was my comment last week, where this Voldemort is much more intelligent. He recruits prefects, head boys, the best and the brightest. Whereas in canon, he takes <sighs> dumbasses like Crab and Goyle. You know? Exactly, like blood who are in Hufflepuff and have not yeah. been in since apparently. <laughs> yeah, who, yeah, who haven't been in this since Chapter Two. Okay, I get the fact that Harry in this story is conflicted about, you know, is he cheating on Hermione? You know, is he, you know, should he be embracing Ginny? The one thing you don't see a lot in this story is him pushing Ginny away because Ginny's not real. She's not the real Ginny. Like, he seems to embrace this world at the same time he's pushing it away. And maybe that's actually a more realistic thing. I don't know. Just something that came to mind. But without getting too graphic, he really held out there during that scene in, in the quit. Like, Aaron, help me out here. This is your favorite scene in all of modern literature. The scene in, 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 in the Quidditch showers. Like, uh-huh. like, it's, like, Harry really hung in there, like, a lot longer than I would have expected him to. Uh-huh. You're talking time-wise during the deed itself? No, 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 no. The part okay, thank where, God. She's sh- where she's showering next to him and he's doing everything but walking over and putting a snowsuit on her. <laughs> well, I'll forget that. How many times before that did she try to convince him to have sex with her? And he's always like, no, I can't have sex with you. <laughs> no, it was just, it was, but here's the thing. Once you've already done it, like, it's okay to look at her in the shower. That was all I could think. I'm like, wow, Harry's really, like, I could understand too, he was now afraid he was going to get her pregnant. But I'm just like, you, you know what? It's, it's, it, it, like, he just seemed very stiff, no pun intended, but it just... just <laughs> plus, I thought it was really funny that they came out from the water, and they're like, It's a blizzard! What the hell? It's August! <laughs> and they're, like, running for their lives. I thought that was kind of funny. Like, Hogwarts is known to plow. Like, they just had to stay there forever. I don't know. Of course I like the Harry Ginny sex scenes. I mean, that's, the, that's what we all read it for, right? Right, Mike? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Am I the only one here who doesn't read fic for sex scenes? No. I don't. I'm not a fan of Harry Jenny. I have a question. Are you into into the slash relationships, Frank? Uh, Not Um, primarily, no. no. Mike, can I ask you a question? I've always wondered how. I I always wondered if in. I wonder sometimes whether it's kind of. If it splits along those lines in Harry Potter where, like, you know, the heterosexual fans tend to go for the heterosexual pairing and the the gay fans tend to go for the slash pairings, or if there's absolutely no correlation whatsoever. Disclaimer, disclaimer. Aaron is, in real life, a happily taken heterosexual. But apparently, Mike has been under the impression for the past few years that Aaron has been the other half of Robert from Spellcast. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, of course not. I mean, it's fine if that's who you are. Absolutely. I mean, I have many gay friends. My father's gay. We have tried to set Mike straight. Unfortunately, he then thought Aaron was in denial about his sexuality. It's not true! It's not true! 
Not that there's anything wrong with that. We're still working on it. Three months later. I don't think so. I, I think it's, the it's female fans that go for the slash pairings. Because honestly. you get two pretty boys next to each other, and it's just more exciting <laughs> than one pretty boy. Okay. <laughs> Which is weird, because you don't see a lot of guys writing fem slash. Oh, yes, you do. I haven't seen that many of them. Uh, you're not looking in the not, right places. Not in, not in this fandom, maybe. <laughs> well, the ratio is... You're right, Mike, probably I, not. Mike, I have a question for you. We know you skim the prophecies and the italics. <laughs> now, do you skim the sex scenes, or out of a sense of duty, do you just bear with it and read every last word? I read every word that's not in italics. I read prophecies not in italics. So I read the pro- like I read this prophecy. I think. Did you read italics. the flashbacks in this fic? Because there's a lot of flashbacks that were in italics. No, I, I, anything in italics. I <laughs> yeah, those were kind I'm of. Like, I'm going to start sending my emails and write you were a dumbass in italics. These flashbacks. I'm like, what the hell is this? It's like these pages of italics. I don't have for this garbage, and I skip. <laughs> So you missed yeah. like half of Harry's inner monologue. Yeah, I don't do I don't do italics. You don't have you don't have the self discipline to write in the English language in normal block letters. If you're writing in self discipline, it's control for effect. It's for effect, Michael. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, for effect when it's, it's visually <laughs> pleasing, much like Ginny Weasley wrapped in a Gryffindor banner. I don't know, but sex it. It contrasts well, I think, with the other the other timeline where uh, Harry sex with Hermione is like this he kind of feels guilty about it all the time and you know yeah, when he all the time because they're doing it all the time well, they, they don't they do did, it all yeah, the they time twice. They, they did it twice they, I think they have sex like five times over the course of their relationship like it's not a lot like it's enough where they can mention each individual time it was, they twice. Had it was twice I can remember it was twice but every time they have sex he has he feels guilty about it because uh, deep down inside he knows he agrees with Ron where he he thinks that you know they shouldn't be together so when he has sex with Jenny, it's like totally guilt-free. They're both t- completely into each other. And then, of course, somebody shows up and... He has a girlfriend, though, while he's having sex with her. Well, he doesn't have a girlfriend. He's in the universe where his girlfriend is Jenny. Mm. Right, but you can look at it, like, depending on you look at it, you can look at it that he's cheating on Hermione with Jenny. That is That's a valid viewpoint. You know, Mike is actually it. fair. Okay, this would be like, for example, during the Next Generation episode, The Inner Light, where Picard is in the alternate reality where Take he a has shot. a flute. Take a shot. You know, <laughs> He and Crusher were kind of had the thing going on here. Now all of a sudden, he's having kids with what's her face, the woman who did, who told him to put his shoes away. I and, do not forgive, and I do not condone. Oh God, not the Do not condone what Sirius and Lily did. My problem is not with them having sex. I understand. I, I don't. Well, two things. I don't think it's right they're lying about their relationship to twins. I feel that the responsible thing for the adult to do is to be upfront, not to live a double life with your kid. I think you're in fact doing more damage to the kid by lying and keeping up a front of a happy relationship while you're cheating on your husband with someone else. That's first off. So I don't condone their behavior to their kids. But on top of that, if you're going to tell me if you're splitting up with Snake, we're not really together, I'm going to have a relationship with Sirius. For God's sakes, why are you doing it in the man's room? Did you go wherever Sirius lives? Why are you inviting Sirius to Snake's quarters where Snake lives and doing it and having sex with him while your husband's in the next room? They didn't actually do that, the human decency 
Snape, they go to Sirius's quarters and leave Snape alone. Oh, the humanity. Mike, I think they did. Your children? Mike, I think they did. Yeah. Are they in? They did. They were, yeah. they were in Snape's quarters. No, they weren't. No, they, they were in Sirius. They were in the house in Hog's End while Snape was at the school. Yeah, they're in Snape's house. Why don't well, they no go one to was home. quarters? Right, let me, let, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Let me get this straight. If you're going to have an affair, don't do it in the empty house when your husband's out of town. Oh, I got to disagree. I think it's actually Lily's house because all the money's hers. They're not doing it with Snape on the couch in front of the bed. Videotaping. We can have discussion about should you or should you not cheat. But I think we can agree if you're going to cheat, your husband shouldn't be in the room when you do it. Can we all agree on this? Well, he kind of is, though. He he knows about She's not cheating on him. He's aware of it. My point is not like she's trying to find a quiet place where she can sneak out without Snape figuring it out, so she makes an excuse to go home and invite Darius over. They, they shouldn't be lying to their son, yeah, but Snape is 100% aware of what's going on. They don't lie to him. The responsible thing is not to have sex in the house where Snape lives, even if Snape isn't there. The responsible thing is to keep his relationship as distant from Snape as possible. So, you, so you're saying they should have gone to Motel 6? Yes, that's what he's saying. They should have taken a broomstick. He lives in the, the staff quarters. He lives in the staff quarters, so you would rather have him on the other side of the wall from where Snape is having his coffee and muffin versus at the house down the street where you can't hear him. <laughs> I, I, I just got a picture of Snape sitting in his in his chair, <laughs> in his easy chair, in, black, <laughs> in the mug is jingling from the in the wall behind him is thumping. <laughs> Mike, I have a question for you, Mike, because um, for those of you who weren't here in episode 90, Mike gave our listeners the talk, and he explained to everyone that he has no problem with teenagers having sex, but what he thinks is instead of advocating abstinence programs, he thinks the government should advocate oral and anal sex, because what we need to do is stop having children you know, out of wedlock. So instead of advocating abstinence, we should be advocating, you know, other ways of having sex because it's not the diseases that are the problem. It's all these kids. That, yes, that can I nice. have the brain bleach back? Yes, you can. Absolutely. So my question for Mike here is they're having untold numbers of children born at Hogwarts because contraception is illegal. Do you think, Mike, that if they just had a safe oral sex campaign, all of that could have been avoided? That was point two. Right. That would worse it. it, it, it you don't have condoms in the wizarding world. The condoms are 100% effective anyway. And if you want to 100% avoid having kids, there's ways that have sexual intercourse. They don't, don't threaten to have children. There are ways around that if you have a little common sense and think about it for a minute. No. All right. If you're not so, worried about Ginny having getting pregnant, why don't you just, you know, have some oral sex instead? Well, well you want women to get pregnant because there's a labor shortage on. But oh, Harry didn't Harry want... There's always, like, midnight... There's always women who don't want to have children that are having because they don't have perception. Well, that's the problem here, though, because if they're trying to advocate people to have children, why is Professor Sinister trying to get Draco and his Woman of the Week out of the Astronomy Tower? You think she would put up, you know, like, a deli counter thing? And... They're trying to discourage people from using the Astronomy Tower for such things. Yeah, she wants them to do it somewhere not in her tower. You know what they should really... Consider doing. Remember how? Because that would be really awkward trying to teach classes where, hey, we did it over there. Well, you know what they should really think of doing. Remember how I was saying before? What do they use the opera house for? Another fix when there's no opera present? Like what do they do with the set? I think they should actually just tear it down in this universe and put up a huge Motel Six. (laughs) (laughs) I think on so many levels that would just be helpful. Wait, Ryan. Yes. Own huge 
Seth, Lily, and Snape hiding their separation from their children. I think it's a stupid idea because their kids are significantly smarter than they are, Harry excluded. <laughs> Harry's pretty good at some points in here, but there's some points where, like, Dumbledore's got a fake beard on. He's like, who the hell are you? So, he shaved I his beard. Shaved his beard. I apologize. Yes, he shaved his beard. Well, you know people with beards, you don't recognize them without the beards. Oh, absolutely. Well, and the thing is, he I swelled th- up his nose a bit, too. Well, there's the twinkle, too. The twinkle was... I think all of Harry's intelligence in this fic actually comes from the alternate timeline. <laughs> <laughs> he goes back, he's dumb as a stump. Uh, yes. What do you think of winning a duel? Like a real duel, where they were aware of each other's skills, Flitwick or Harry? Well, I love the part in the story where between the, di- the differences of the two Harrys is, you know how sometimes, like, like there was an episode of Babylon 5 where you're, all these Drink. aliens... Right. All of, all of these aliens, the race is called the Mimbari. So there's a bunch of Mimbari on the Mimbari ship. There's no human characters present. And they hear a transmission over you know the comm system. And it's someone, it's an actor doing a line speaking in English. And one of the characters says something like, well, it's coming in in Mimbari. So the theory is all these people are really speaking Mimbari because they're on their own ship. They're speaking their own language. But we, the, we as the audience are conveniently hearing it in English. So presumably if there were a human character in that room, he would have no earthly idea what these people who to us are speaking English are saying. I love the part here where Harry's like, I'm from Surrey. And they're like, no, you're not. You're Scottish. I'm like, Harry's been speaking with a Scottish accent all this time. Because everyone else, it's the the accent is written into the dialogue. So oh, yeah. my well, text reader reads it as you know, a Scottish accent. Well, the so thing like, is, you don't pay attention to your own accent. Yeah, I know yeah. I don't. But I go elsewhere, and everyone's like, where are you from? i got to say, Massachusetts. Yeah, that figures. have a yard in my car. We don't talk like <laughs> Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner is the only person. Some of us do. Him. I do. It made total sense that it wasn't revealed that Harry spoke with a Scottish accent until then. And it also made total sense that he did speak with a Scottish accent at all. Well, everyone else in the fic is Scottish. I mean, everyone's walking around in kilts every ten minutes. Yeah, I noticed. Lucius Malfoy is Scottish. I love it. Now, let me ask you question was there actually a line because presumably when you have fudge as the minister for magic malfoy's in his back pocket i did like the part during the trial when he outed bins as a death eater and crouch actually says i don't believe bins malfoy i do <laughs> like we all know he's a death eater but i'm like really because usually they try and hide that so i thought that was interesting he was anti-malfoy yeah and no one has a comment on that one. All right, what it's else haven't we talked about? Comment on that, Ryan. I'm sorry. There you go. All right, we got we got Maggie Parrish. We've got Draco Malfoy, best friend ever. I have like thirty uh, more talking points and questions for Ryan. All right, well, well, let's do this. Why don't we leave the questions out for now, but throw a talking point out there regarding Tempest Fugit. Does this mean that Harry is now 19 and Ginny is 18 so that they can shag without guilt? I think it's their bo- they, they have osteoporosis. It's bones and organs, but your skin is an organ, so... Yeah, you'd think he'd look 27. I think they have osteoporosis. I think um, the problem I, I they would, would have... Your life off early is how I read it. That he's going to die early. I'm guessing that whoever invented the spell found a way around the obvious aging thing, because... They have osteoporosis, and the reason he was embarrassed when they were in the shower was he was afraid she would fall and break her hip. <laughs> I think that. 
Another talking point I have, was Harry really going to sit in the cell for five years if all he had to do was walk out and jump? Well, I think he didn't want to create the big chaos that Sirius breaking out of Azkaban did in the real timeline. It seemed very easy to break out, though. <laughs> just like we're just Guilty people it. run. Yeah, he did exactly <laughs> what Sirius did in the canon. Just wait for the door to be open, walk right past the Dementor. I know, you just would think he'd have to, like, duck around a corner or something. It just seemed very strange. Well, Azkaban like, is practically a cardboard prison, let's be honest. I actually think that, that, that if this was, like, the real world, Harry, he's guilty of manslaughter, isn't he? But I, I guess yeah, I actually have that in my notes. Manslaughter, third degree. Yeah, he, he does deserve, I guess, he's an adult, he deserves some time. But I guess the problem in the wizarding world is that there's no in-between between the soul-sucking prison that, like, tells your happiness and basically, like, non-stop porter and absolutely nothing. A jury would never convict him, though. If a jury actually, if he had a good lawyer, or let me preface that, if he had a lawyer, yes, and if he had, you know, a judge who wasn't going from the stand, does anyone want to cross-examine this dirtbag up here on trial for murdering his lovely? Like, if if it was actually like a fair trial and there was the possibility of appeals and whatnot, and they've got the stupidest system. It's like nine, you need nine votes to convict, seven votes to acquit, and eight votes to get a redo. Like, it's I actually like that. I, I thought it was interesting. You you definitely yeah. need certainty that he did it, he's guilty, he's a bastard, and we're going to lock him up and throw away the key. Well, it's a, yeah, it's a little bit um, less stringent than what we have now. Like, right now, you have to have, I think, five-sixths, in some, depending on the state, you either need five-sixths of the jury to go with you, or you need unanimous. Otherwise, it's either a mistrial or whatnot. Um, but I just thought the number counts was was what was funny there. But I think Harry would have... I don't think a jury would have convicted Harry if they got the full story, um, if they were able to view the pensive. You know, I, I think there would have been ways um, around it. It just reminded me of... Um, what was the criminal case where um, a man molests a young boy and he gets acquitted and he's walking out of the courtroom and the father of the young boy is pretending to be on a payphone and as the now acquitted man walks by, the father takes out the gun and in front of everyone shoots him and kills him and they put the father on trial and the jury refused to convict him i think that was a law and order no it was it really happened it was based on the also a, a time to kill by john grisham yeah i, I know it was yeah. based on yeah. true or whatever like i don't think harry would have gone to jail but i think in this story it was just so even as stacked against him as it was the fact that his character witness like you know agreed with the other guy i think harry still got off quite easily I so both your eyes and now imagine he was a pure what? <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice reference there, Mike. That was a good one. That was a good one. Uh, you. you know what? He needed Alan Shore from Boston Legal to defend him, and I think everything would have just gone fine. But yeah, I, I got the bad vibe that things were were going to start going wrong when Lily shot Draco. I'm like, uh oh, this is not going to end well. Yeah, I really got to give it to Snape. Like Harry kills Snape's wife and Snape's like think about Snape's month. His son is kidnapped and, you know, sent to a desert where he comes back and dies. So his son is dead. His wife is killed by his other son. His stepdaughter, who he's ra- who he delivered in his raise, and there's he, there's multiple plot points about how he cringes when he's referred to as her stepfather because he is her father. She's killed. His other son is killed. And his focus is still Harry. Not killed. Tortured like the Longbottom. 
Yes, I'm sorry. Torture like the long bomb. Does he eventually die or no? He no, he he lives. And then um, he keeps on living in string theory. His entire family dies, and he doesn't break apart. He says the first thing he says is, "Harry will write to you every day. We're going to get you through this." I, I I'm like, you know what? Snape's actually not that bad a guy because that's. One of the great things about this fic is it shows you how, under the correct circumstances, Snape cannot be a bastard and Draco can be a good friend. Mm-hmm. And, That's and actually one of my points from the beginning. I like that this story really shows us the shades of gray. Just because you're a Gryffindor doesn't mean you're good. Viz the long bottoms, and just because you're Slytherin doesn't make you evil. Viz Snape and Lily's sons and, and so forth. Like, assume Harry tomorrow gets home and Snape is measured but strict and not a friend but not a jackass if he's if he's just on the fence and draco is friendly to harry but he's also distant and like you said if he if harry goes after Ginny, it's all over harry now knows that snape has the potential to be an awesome human being and that draco has the potential to be as self-sacrificing as ron uh, like even in the last chapter you know he says harry says i can't make you do it i would have to make you write in this diary and you would lose yourself and draco did something so horrible that he would ra- he almost jumped off whatever tower he wants to die so he will do whatever harry needs and he's doing that selfishly, number one, for his own conscience, but he's also... Well, no one's, no one's denying that in the canon they had the potential to become, you know, better people than they were, but they never but, you know, wanted great to people. be better no, but it's one. Th- it's one thing to see a world where Snape was a great guy, who even after Harry, you know, was in part responsible for the deaths of Snape's wife and all of his you know, his, his his biological children and the girl that was like a, like a daughter to him. You know, even after all that, he still stands by Harry one hundred and twenty percent. That me- that sh- that says something about his potential as a human being. It's like what we were saying about Ginny earlier. Is this Ginny or not? Snape has that within him, and Draco has that within him. So I think if we get back to the original timeline, that's one thing Harry's going to know. Draco can be more. Snape can be more. You know, Frank and Alice could be less. <laughs> Mm. Another thing that, that Harry learns is kind of the, the need for certain sacrifices. Some things have to be done, and sometimes there's no other way to do it. Some things are wor- are, are more important than, than life. There are fates worse than death. He, and I don't think he truly realizes this until he goes to this timeline, and, uh, and it's just so wrong. The whole, the whole thing is just so wrong. That, that's what it finally takes for him to realize. But there are sacrifices that have to be made, and I think that if there are such sacrifices, which I don't recall if there are or not in the next fic, but if there are such sacrifices, he'll be prepared to make them. If, like me, you feel that canon in, in book uh, three clearly makes it makes it clear that this this is not a multi-universe time travel book story, that P.S. isn't this story, then you can make the argument that this had to occur because sometime in the future, Harry's going to have to confront Voldemort and make a sacrifice, and he's able to make the sacrifice because of this adventure. It's not a branch off of his universe, it's part of the greater sort of scheme and tapestry. It's he's got to learn something it's from it. It's something he needed for his character in order to do what he has to do in the meantime. Absolutely. Well, yeah, he, learn he, he learns with time. He learns some serious. He learns that as well. He also learns some some good, you know, intelligence about Voldemort. About uh, I don't know the air. The air, absolutely. Yeah, he learns about the air. He learns about uh, Maggie. He learns about many things that. Um, you know, various secrets. Finds out about Roger Davies. Finally, well, he learns that he's a Death Eater in this universe. It doesn't necessarily mean he's a Death Eater in the other universe, but... It's a good suspicion, though. 
Well, he has a head boy. I mean, that's who Voldemort goes after. Yeah, that's just so interesting that in one universe, like, for example, the part where um, Harry's trying to set Justin up, and they're, and they're like, we're not gay, we're not gay, and Harry's like, crap. Um, <laughs> Oops. You, you looked gay. He's <laughs> like, what are you saying at that point? Like, oh, I come from He's like, note to self, real. do not out people. <laughs> I've been outed! I wasn't even in! Do you really you, believe when they yeah. said they weren't gay that they weren't gay, or did you think they were just saying that no. because he was all of a sudden, like, assuming they were? They were or maybe they had it. Yeah, or maybe Maybe due to you know issues in their own life, maybe they hadn't come to grips with it. Maybe they started making out five minutes later. <laughs> like, no, but um, I'm not touching this. The only thing I really talked about on a slightly different note is Lily too much and her personality in this. And I'm actually going to make Ryan makes um, Star Trek references. I'm going to make it a song and a nice and fire reference to PX here. Good God. And it, it doesn't Lily in this pic remind you a lot of Cat, the Cat in the story, sort of this. Person. Yeah, it, that's correct. I, I was thinking that I'm going like, wow, this is such a perfect parallel between this Lily and Cat. And I don't want to get too much of a spoiler, but I guess briefly in Song of Ice and Fire, you have this character who um, she just keeps she keeps making like greater and greater sacrifices for her sons, but each sacrifice she makes kind of um, ends up hurting her sons more in a roundabout way because she's making sort of almost amoral choices to protect her children, which winds up turning around and smacking them upside the head. And it's sort of the same thing here with this Lily. And you could, I guess you could make the argument that she's not probably supposed to be because of the changes, but really there has to be some basis for this in, in you know, canon Lily for this Lily to come out. She can't just go off on a total tangent. Oh. And this Lily does not come off to me as a good person. Well, it's the imperious curse, which Absolutely. I forgot about. And I actually had a question. Why the hell doesn't Harry just take it off her when they're in the cave. Well, my thing was, I, I didn't think it lasted. I didn't think it lasted that long. Does he know but how? The reason is, Benite incantatum. Well, now, but my question is, will it really last for twenty years without being reinforced? Yeah, but curse can be broken from within. It's no indication whether it can be canceled or not. Well, there's it can be canceled by like, the caster. The imperious curse on someone, and the order you give them is like in twenty years kill the person. Interesting. Yeah, question. see, don't we don't know enough about that to say either way. Well, I, I, there's something I, I don't buy from under the imperious curse. I read that as that being Harry trying to justify her, her actions because she's so. I think in a way Harry's traumatized by her actions and her personality because in his head, from the stories people tell him, which are understandably always kind of like who's in a bad mouth is the orphan's dead mother. You know, his stories are her. She's almost like a saint, and then he meets her, and she's sort of in a lot of ways she's the opposite of Harry's personal moral code. So to me, I actually, I think I'm the only one, but I was getting the curious thing of Harry desperately trying to justify her actions because he didn't want to think of her. He can't accept that this is just who Lily is. Well, I don't know about that. Let me just play devil's advocate, though, because this came out after Goblet. And in Goblet, we discover that, you know, we just find out what the curse is. We know that Harry can overcome it. Uh, we don't know anything about the, the practicality of applying it and how long it needs to be applied for and so on and so forth. Well, we do. We get the... Uh, no, we get um, Barry, Barry Crouch putting it on his son. It was on his son for years. But he, but he broke so it from within. It was never canceled. Yeah, but he doesn't have to continue to... Are you sure? Well, the question I have is the reapplication. That's what I th- I'm he thinking. He's wearing off, and he keeps having to recast it. Canon Magic well, there, 8-Bowl. There's another thing. Was that stated in Goblet, though, that he had to continue I'm to reapply I'm pretty sure no. it does. But it's, it is. it's not like he has to keep saying Imperio, Imperio every five minutes. I mean, it lasts long enough that it, that it was a convenient way to... Him. But the no, one he, thing that saves it, he, he, Lily 
never fights it. Yeah, Lily never. Lily never fights it because it's it's save your son at all costs. So she embraces it. She doesn't fight it. What's great about it is it brings back something that they talk about in Psychic Serpent, which is that when the Imperious Curse is cast on somebody and they're told to do something they already want to do, it becomes so that they can't that they can't fight it. That it's impossible. It becomes like yeah. this 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 unstoppable drive, which is what really happens to Hermione in going after Harry for the most part. But with Lily, there's no reason for her to fight it. This is her this is her basest instinct. This is I am a mother, I must protect my son. And he tell and he tells her, Protect your son. There's no way she can ever fight it and it will last forever, which is what I love about it. And and they uh Barb drops in a couple times. Um I think I think there's at least one instance where, where Lily is um when they, they find out that Harry's I think this is after Harry becomes a Death Eater and they've made threats against his life if he doesn't kill Ron. She's pacing and she's reciting a line from the the imperious order that Harry gives her, which I think is whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Yeah. She repeats it like three or four times, and Harry doesn't realize what it means at that point. Although if you're if you're paying attention, the reader should. I love this idea that it was it was Harry himself who, but by saving her at that at that time, he doomed her later on because yeah. of of this this. Am I the only one who read it as her as Harry lying to himself, try to preserve it's, her memory? Yes. Yeah. Because there's no so, reason to. Yeah. yeah I, I tell you, especially what, so with like, what Aaron just said, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. She's operating under her instructions. Mike does have a good point, though, that that Lily is such a Mary Sue that, or is is portrayed as such a Mary Sue that you want you know want her to have flaws, um, and and you know the fact that she doesn't really have flaws. No one tells Harry that she has flaws. That whole thing saves her from being you know just batshit crazy. Like she's willing to torture Draco and murder Ron to save Harry's life. And you know what would she do if there were no curse? I mean, arguably her entire family could be wiped out by the Death Eater. And you know what? That's what Molly Weasley lives with every single day. And she doesn't. I never saw her try and kill Harry to save Bill. You know what I mean? You have very difficult choices, and Lily will do anything to save her family, whereas I don't even think Molly would do anything to save her family. She would sacrifice herself, but she would not sacrifice the boy next door. And that's the difference. And you don't, I don't think Lily would either if she was in the right frame of mind. And that's the tragic part of the whole thing. And Harry can't mention that. Essentially, don't know anything about Lily, especially at this point because we haven't seen Snape's worst memory or all of Snape's memories in Deathly Hallows yet. So mm-hmm. it's kind you're saying of we don't know anything about we don't know anything about Canon Lily, right? Uh, Canon Lily, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, can. oh, I was making a distinction between to see somebody who you had always expected to be so like kind and nice because she's always talked about in that way. But then again, dead people always are. It's kind of a shock to see her being this ruthless. Yeah. Well, especially after what you see in the story, because she's the jackass mother, and then she breaks down when you finally discover that she's putting on a front and, you know, making Harry look like Crab or Goyle, you know, not the man of action, the other one, you know, just to try and make, you know what I mean, just to try and make them, make make him look like such a loser that, that Voldemort would never want to take him up with his offer, which I thought was a really bad game plan. It's not like you're trying to prevent him from putting the obedience curse on Harry. It's basically, you're trying to make him think that Harry is such an idiot I don't want to waste a minute of my life to go pick him up. You know, like, it's just... 
it's like, hey, free servants. Like, if Harry's that stupid, he can just get you cokes when you need it. Like, <laughs> I mean, like you can use him. Um, I just thought that was kind of bogus. But yeah, it's you. Then you see her be a very motherly person to Harry, and then unfortunately she has an affair with Sirius, and, and she loses some screen time. But yeah, I mean, she becomes incredibly ruthless. I just don't think she would be otherwise. Well, she's been Harry's interest over everything else. In Harry's interest for this stupid Sirius. You know, once Harry's that upset, shouldn't she break it off with Sirius? No, I don't think it works that way. Uh, it's her own personal. Ha- you don't break up with your husband because your kid doesn't like him. You know, it's. If you do, actually, in real life, you probably do. No, I don't think so. I, I don't think that she would. Right. Uh, he's sixteen years old. I mean, with I some people, fact, maybe, but... I I would bet the number one reason for relationships with undivorced parents with uh, someone else for them not working, like, you know, the relationship after the divorce is because of the kid. I would bet you that's the number one. Well, it is proven Harry's, that kids make a marriage miserable, so... Harry's 16, and Lily's known him forever. She wouldn't make that decision based on what Harry said. I, th- I can't remember if it was after Jamie and um, and Jenny died. I think it was. It might have even been in the same leather after Jamie. No, it was the leather right before Jamie and um, and Jenny are killed by Professor Benz. Where Snape is so upset by the way Dumbledore handled things that their relationship is officially over. Yeah, Snape well, and Dumbledore broke up. Yeah, he doesn't trust Dumbledore to see to the safety arrangements, so him and Charlie and Draco are going on the run. There's a scene in here. It's right after Harry and Ginny have sex in in the Quidditch locker room. Harry's having the internal monologue with himself, which my text reader, unfortunately, just reads verbatim. So I thought Harry was having an argument with Ginny over whether or not he should have just slept with Ginny. I'm like, wow, he's really... It's kind of harsh the way he's talking to her about this. There's like... He's like... Or um, Harry's trying to make excuses for why he was weak and why, you know, just this one time and I had to do it, I have needs. I'm like, um, you, you probably shouldn't be saying that to Ginny as I make her feel like crap. And then Harry breaks up with Ginny for half an hour. Just like in canon. For half an hour. They're back together in the beginning of the next chapter. I'm like, okay. If everyone had to live out of a car... Oh, no, never mind. I won't go on. I, mean, I thought we were going to kill Deathrill now. If Deathrill had to live. Yes, Deathrill has to live. This is very important. Oh, yeah, if he had to live in a car, for, like if he couldn't have a house, but he had to live inside of a car forever, for some reason I see him inside of a Nissan Altima. <laughs> Dude, I drive a Chevy Tracker. Right, but I feel like, like this is, but I think like if you went to, like, if your home was going to be a car, I could see you stuck in a Nissan Altima for like the next 10 years living out of it. Oh, for the love of what God. What kind of car would I live in, Mike? Uh, let's not get him off topic, please. Subaru, yeah, Subaru. That's actually the kind of car I drive. Do you really? You drive? I thought you didn't know how to drive. I mean, I thought you didn't have a car. She what? drove to Montreal. That's right, you did, didn't you? I work with a guy, he's 48 years old. He's the most anal retentive human being I've ever met in my life. He actually gets other ruler when he puts uh, papers up on the bulletin board to measure the space between the wait, papers. Wait, that, that wasn't me? No, there's some, I was. No, it's, it's that, this person's actually more anal retentive than you are. He got engaged once, which was funny because we never knew he was even dating anybody. And we asked him, you know, because he lived over here and she lived way, 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 way over there. And, you know, would they move to, the, you know, like a middle city? City, or would they? Would he move to where she? How were they going to do this? You know, because of their jobs. He's like, she's in the, she's in the level where I am. I'm like, well, what does she think? I haven't told her yet. And I'm like, this is not going to happen. And he never got married. He has quirks. He also has bought a new car every eight months. 
Wow. He once bought a car and returned it the next week and took a $2,000 hit because he changed his mind on the color of the upholstery. That is just... What? I, com- I, have, I, have, no, I have no words. Really. He comes in last week, was doing a test drive, and he actually he test drove a car, and he they gave it to him for the day to drive it around and see what you think, because apparently they're that desperate to sell cars. And mm-hmm. so he's test driving the car, and he brings it to the parking lot, and he and he's like, hey, look at this. And he's test driving a Subaru. And one of my coworkers points out the fact that Subaru is the brand most targeted towards lesbians. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And they, they, it's actually true. And I and the funny thing, wait, they, what? Subaru, the brand, tries to make itself a very gay-friendly company. Now, it's not to say that everyone who drives a Subaru is a lesbian. Thank you, Ryan. Okay, that's apologize to all one. Subaru drivers. No, I'm not. No, I'm just saying the reason I thought this was funny was I missed the entire thing because I wasn't in the office that morning. But I did show up later that day, and I'm like, you know, in graduate school, I wrote a paper on car companies targeting homosexuals. One of the subsections I wrote in the paper was actually on Subaru. Their slogan was, it's the way we're built, the the way they treat their employees, and, and, and you know, the packages they offer. They're, they're a very gay-friendly company. And then I brought up the example of, does everyone remember the dot, dot, dot commercial for Volkswagen about 10 years ago? It's the two guys in the Volkswagen, and they're driving, and they have the, the stereo on, and they, like, pull over because someone threw out a chair or something and they strap it to the top of the Volkswagen and they Oh on. yeah, yeah, I remember. Everyone remembers the ad, but everyone doesn't remember the fact that it premiered during the coming out episode of Ellen and it was targeted towards gay people. Because only homosexual men would pull over and pick up a chair from the side of the road. That's like every college student. Homosexual men watch and say, "Hey, look, it's two gay guys." And people like me watched and said, "Hey, look, it's two buddies." <laughs> so it kind of worked for everybody. So we told this to to that guy and someone's like do you think he'll trade the car in now I'm like I think he'll trade the car in now because he traded the car in because he didn't like the cigarette lighter location so I think he'll trade the uh, because he didn't want people to think he was a lesbian like 17 people said that to him more because they know they can just push this guy's buttons and everyone just felt like pushing the guy's buttons did so, I tell you guys my brother has a mushroom farm now your brother has a mushroom farm psychedelic yeah, mushrooms yeah, I didn't even know you had a brother. I did. You had a brother, Ryan? Why would we ever talk about his brother? His brother is a crazy Ryan. You should hear what my brother's done the last few years. I'm so very curious about his serious brother. Bob Dole. Bob Dole knows a little about Viagra. Your brother is Bob Dole? My brother makes me look like so conservative and boring that I'm Bob Dole. (laughs) Death Rose about his Hufflepuff is Ross Perot. (laughs) Whoever's editing this episode, write down in a post-it note right now, the title of this episode is Our Apologies to Lesbians and Bob Dole. Thank you. He bought on eBay a one-acre mushroom farm. How much? Him and his, I don't remember, him and his friend co-bought it. I said, I co-own a one-acre mushroom but don't you have to pay the property taxes to the land then? Probably, but he is and he, he doesn't believe it. He's morally opposed to it. And he's actually, and, and, uh, what is he morally opposed to? Property taxes? He's he morally opposed to money as a concept. Oh, for- <laughs> <laughs> same year. In the same year, his he brother is the galleon quarter of the Pupa Bank. <laughs> in the same year, he's been a registered libertarian and a registered communist. Yeah, he switches affiliations like nobody's business. Let me get this straight. When you go home for Thanksgiving, you're the normal one in the house. Yep, that's the straight of it. Yeah, 
Because that's like, really. Like, he shaved his beard, threw out the clothes, and bought a tie dye shirt. And right now, Why would he shave his beard if he's going to be a hippie. I don't know how he did that. And, and then he spent uh, up until he bought this farm, he was living in a bus following the Grateful Dead around. Wow. Well, yeah. I, I, nice. I, I don't really know where to go from there. Um, I say we go back to the fic. Why don't we go back to the fic? I'm in charge. Good. Did Mr. Part just know about how Death was really in charge? Yeah. yeah. I think he did. Death by Lieutenant. And Bethel, if you see any sound quality problems, I want you to let me know right away so I can discipline the person. Well, I have a feeling he's Mike is about to be Expelliarmus that. and he's going to fall back and hit his head in a rock. That would be <laughs> a very bad thing. Well, can I just point out, I love in the new Harry Potter in, in the Half-Blood Prince Wii game how much of an idiot Ron is because he keeps getting knocked on his ass every five minutes. But anyway, all right. So does somebody have Ryan's number that we can call him if we need him? I do. Here's the game plan. In my Bethel, phone, but sound quality I problems, you let me know. Yes, all right. you're in charge of more activity. Tim, you're in charge of uh, keeping us on track. Cross, you're in charge of being all around cool. I'm in charge of everyone else. We have a <laughs> Can we break from in charge of moral activity? <laughs> if, if someone gets disconnected, I will be informed immediately and I will appoint someone to contact Ryan. There'll be no contacting Ryan without my seal of approval. I believe he means morale. Yeah, must be. To the story now? Yeah. Can we break yeah. for like five minutes? Who said that? Me. That would be Tim. Yeah. Who's me? Tim. You have Three minutes. Driver. I, my time right now is eleven sixteen p.m. We do not want this going to one a.m. At eleven nineteen, we are restarting. You may go. This is this is the second time I've had to say this today, but this is the little amount of power I've ever seen go to someone's head. While we're on the note, by the way, I don't know. That PS is trying to say something. Brian has been gone for less than a minute. <laughs> while we wait for Tim to come back, I wanted to ask. Yes, you've heard Deathrow speak before. Did you remember his voice sounding like sounds right now? What is I your obsession with my voice? I honestly. <laughs> Really crazy, dude. I honestly hey, well, can't remember Deathel's voice from before. I'm sorry. I feel like well, such a bad person for not remembering your voice, but I just don't. Whatever. P.S. Did you like this movie? Jim Broadbent, Slughorn, Awesomeness. Yes. No. Half the oh, Prince. Oh yes. Oh my god, I did. Oh my god, I did. Oh my god, I did. Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> it, it reminded me of uh, Amelda Staunton from Five. How you going in? You didn't think he would be the best choice, and then he ended up being just phenomenal. Yeah. Yes. Um, the Felix Felicis scene where he's doing the eulogy for. Uh, oh my god! Eric I just Gog. about died. I just <laughs> That, that was perfect. Everybody agrees that that scene was was absolutely perfect. And Dan, Dan, Dan made that. Dan was action. awesome on that. Uh, what was it? PS, that was like- your new one true pairing is Harry and Felix. Yes. <laughs> I got to agree. It was awesome. I want to read people writing Harry taking more Felix Felicis like at other points. Like he yes. like he randomly has a bottle of Felix Felicis in like third yes. year or something and he takes a bottle. He's going to have to do it again. I think people are going to have to write big set in the future when Harry is an R or whatever mm-hmm. and takes Felix Felicis. I think he should frequently take Felix Felicis in fandom from now on. Well, I, at some point I'm going to have to write that so I'll see what I can do with it. Yeah, that's really cool. Hey, you're going to have to write that. Yeah, not the uh, not that far away, really, I guess, from your perspective. Um, a year and a half. Um, All right, we are now restarting the podcast. That's going to make the first returning comic. Okay. Very good. Yes, I, th- I think it's very, very interesting that Harry gets to play Ron's traditional role as the protective older brother. Yeah, this is something I said in the uh, the first recording of the last podcast, which was that Harry as an older brother, or Harry as a brother, is one of my favorite characterizations. Whenever he has a chance for a younger sister, younger brother, he always seems to come through really well and I wonder if that's his innate character or if that's 
just people like to write him that way. Mm. I don't know. And along those same lines, I really like that Sirius is also Jamie's godfather. Yeah. It's just, it's a small thing, but it, it's, it fits. It, it just seems very, very appropriate. And talking of sibling relations, one thing I like that we see developed a little bit is Harry's relationship with but, uh, Stuart Simon. Uh, but they, they start to develop some personality as it goes on. Yeah, like when the general strike goes on, I really, really like that Harry gets to them and says, hey, it's going to be a great thing going. This Gryffindor organized it, but we don't care about that. We get out of classes. And the, it's the twins that go around to all the other Slytherins and put it to him in a Slytherin tone that says, hey, we don't have to go to classes. And the line in particular, let me find it, it's in my notes, where is it? Um, we wouldn't dream of not being in solidarity with the other houses. <laughs> Never think about not going along with that. We are of course not. We're just like everyone else, which I, I think is fantastic, obviously. Yeah. Well, I, I love that they, they you know had the foresight to think, well, we're going to have to put this to the Slytherin slightly differently than we put it to the other houses mm-hmm. uh, we think differently what can i say something i wanted to touch on before we got towards the wrap-up section i love that there's there's a moment in this in this fic where harry is real i think is really thinking this world is fine i can deal with this world this is before he gets to the getting the muggleborns to come back the general strike before the general strike he's like you know this world it's it's pretty good i, I can deal with this you know he's kind of maybe on he's maybe you know, maybe I'll, I'll work on it a little bit but not it's not until he gets initiated as a Death Eater and the general strike is what really messes things up because then it just goes to hell really fast. First he has to he's told to kill Ron and then we have the thing with the squid and then we have the thing with, was it Simon or Stuart that dies? Stuart. Okay. You have the thing with Stuart getting kidnapped and dying you have James suddenly appear in ghost form and be like, Harry you must must fix this. I think there was a point made earlier about how it's not until things go bad that he he really decides to change the world. I think before he had been kind of like or to, to switch timelines. I think in, in his mind, he was thinking, well, I'll, I'll do that, but he didn't really know how to do it, so he was like, well, in the meantime, I'll try and fix the uh, the world rather than fix the timelines, and then eventually just degenerates to the point where he realizes he can't he can't fix this world, that it's it's beyond that point, and it, it gets emphasized even more, I think, in the later chapters. But, um, well, it just goes it was to just, show that Harry hasn't learned his lessons from Hermione. When you need to fix exactly. something, go to the library. Yep. It, it's, it's one of those things, he, it gets worse as it goes along. Part of that, I think, is that Voldemort has reinvented invigorated himself maybe from with the memories of this other timeline where he was very much this weak individual for 15 years and suddenly he's in this world where he's full of power and he's he's got all these followers and he's like you know what i'm gonna finally you know pull this thing together and i think that's part of the reason why it's the world starts to degenerate so quickly if you assume that harry wasn't going to go back in time leaving that out do you think the strike was a mistake i'm sorry ignoring the fact that we think harry should go back to his actual real time in terms of improving improving the world do you think the strike is a mistake and a bad idea? Well, I, I think he's. I think at that point he's so high on the idea that this world could be fixed. You know, he doesn't. He doesn't have. He doesn't have enough experience to realize that. Well, yeah, but doing something so overt is probably going to mess things up again. And he's also forgetting that there's that he's got bins looking over his shoulder. He's forgetting that he has a dark mark and this obedience charm. He is really. Um, he's really not. Um, he's not really his own man. At this point he he doesn't he can't do anything he wants and he i think he has this feeling he's a, this, this kind of high feeling that yes he can do whatever he wants i guess what i'm asking to everyone um 
Well, the next time there's a Death Eater meeting, he casts the spell and then he kills Voldemort. Seems like a pretty good idea to me. The only thing I was never 100% convinced of in this, in all honesty, is Harry joining the Death Eaters. Um, I was never convinced that that was a logical or smart move, even considering the risk. You know, like, like what do you think's going to happen when you join them? Exactly what did happen is they're going to kidnap your brother anyway and hold him hostage. So why are you well, doing it's not that? like he had a choice in the matter. They would have done better that than them. What's going to happen when you're a Death Eater? Either you're going to have to start killing people or you're, they're going to kill your family. Whatever if if, he had, if he'd refused, Earth. they'd kill his family anyway. Right. Seriously. So either way, my point is your family is being killed. So to me, the more logical choice is not let's join the Army of Darkness, but let's do what we can to bring my family to a secure location or talk to Dumbledore maybe, but not I'm going to go get the attached to the Dark Market to my own. Well, I think Harry had the idea also that he wanted to be a smart spy like his father, and he didn't really comprehend what that entailed. Um, he he wanted to uh, he wanted to help Dumbledore and and do this stuff, but he didn't realize that he was going to be asked to murder and and torture and um, cannibalism. Least, uh, cannibalism. He I don't think he, it wasn't that he didn't understand. It. I think it's, he didn't really he really didn't have any context for it. His parents had done their best to shelter him. They hadn't revealed that that Snape was a spy or a Death Eater. They hadn't really revealed to him the previous the Harry before September first. You know, kind of the ugliness of the world. They kind of they kind of glossed over it. And part of that was because he was a kid, and they didn't they, they thought of him as a kid. But once he gets those memories from the other universe, he ha- he takes on that aspect of that Harry, which is that Harry was never a kid. He was never he was never as naive as an eleven year old should be. He was never he never fully had his innocence, and um, he he kind of loses that when he gets his memories of that time period. I would actually like to talk for a moment about James Potter and down at the Quidditch pitch. What was up with Harry not picking up on all of these completely unsubtle hints about the Quidditch pitch? Because everyone thought he was learning stuff down at the pitch. Why would he not go and check it out? Well, part of it was, I think, James, well, he w- he did go down there. He did go down and play Quidditch. He went to the changing rooms. You know, he spent time down there. I'm sure at, at some point he was alone, but James wasn't showing himself. Um, and I think the, the idea was that James was still kind of assimilating memories from this other, this other timeline yeah, and didn't want to reveal himself to Harry. I, I yeah. get that Harry was down there for normal purposes, but people are dropping pretty significant hints that there's something important down there at the Quidditch pitch. And I just think Harry, this Harry, is the sort of person who would go down there and not leave until he figured it out. Mm-hmm. I was I actually, know. as I read that, I was thinking it was going to be like Snape or like sort of tutoring. I was kind of reading it as all they can to make their relationship. So whenever Harry needs to find something to Snape, Snape's on the pitch and he, you know, he teaches him keeper stuff and they talk about the problem. That's, how, that's what I was expecting. I did not like that go. So. Uh, I think you're. I don't know. I was kind of like Harry. I was like, "What are they talking about with the Quidditch pitch thing? Like, it doesn't make any sense." Yeah, because he he's, he's been there. He knows what's at the Quidditch pitch, or he thinks he knows what's at the Quidditch pitch, which is a Quidditch pitch. He, he's like, "Why are why are you guys talking about that?" And they were like, "Oh, nothing. Never mind." And and he's like, "Okay." <laughs> and it, yeah, I, I just think he's he's totally nonplussed about it. He doesn't have any idea what they're talking about, and has no and and because when he is there, nothing it manifests itself. So. So 
it's, yeah. he just thinks they're they're being crazy or something. Well, before you met James Ghost, I mean, what did you guys think it was before James Ghost? I just assumed it had to be you know, someone to talk to him, and I figured, you know, and that's the reason they couldn't come out and say it is because no one goes to know, you know. Yeah, well, I don't uh, think there's any hints in the story. I could be wrong, but I don't think there's any hints that it actually is James Potter's ghost. I didn't pick it no. up. Yeah. Oh, uh, I think it's I, only the the uh, the stuff that they suggest that he's um, that he's learning is stuff that James would be able to teach him. Yeah, but so could a lot of people. Like Sirius well, true. teach him all of the same stuff. So that, but why would Sirius be asking about, have you been getting triggering down the Quidditch pitch? I mean, well, true enough, but I mean, it, it just didn't seem like there was enough in the text of the story to point towards James where you might be able to guess it if you're paying attention. No. I figured it's one of those many, many things that, uh, well, not maybe may not many, many things, but some, one of the several things that um, Barb does in this story, which, and, you know, for the most part, infuriate you, which is where she mentions something several times and then do, and, and leaves out the important piece of information because she wants it to be a big reveal. Like it would be, say, in a movie, for example. I mean, in a movie where you can't hear Harry's thoughts, you wouldn't know that it was Bins under the hood if he, they were looking at him from behind. You know, something like that. Um, you know, I, yeah, I think. I, will I think that as a writer, that drives me completely up the wall, and I hate it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It was one of those things that that she wanted to have a big reveal, and she ends up having a big reveal, but it's it kind of comes at it through artificial means. I wasn't that shocked. My camera actually looked. Oh, hey, James. It made total sense to me after um, at when he appeared. I was like, oh, well, that makes sense if he. He's not. If he's not with Lily, he's got unfinished business. So yeah, and I liked that Harry got to hear James' story and, and talk with him. And even if James didn't fully approve of, of what he'd done, he still got to talk to his dad yeah. or his father, I should say, because Snape's his dad. I like that he calls him that he thinks of him as his dad. Uh, it was so much more realistic for me than, for example, a year like none other, where he's yeah, you know, it's it's sixth year and suddenly he's calling Snape dad, and I'm like, really? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I didn't like, really buy that either. But I like. Oh, I agree with. You. You're like another did it well because not that you're backtracking you're like another, but because the whole point in you're like another is that it is artificial and that he starts to make a point, starts calling games games and Snape dad and it's forced. And Snape actually has to come and then one of the chapters Snape confronts him. And he's like, Why are you calling James James and me dad all of a sudden? He's your father too. Back to Maggie for a second. I like that she has cool psychic powers and she's using yeah. them in the muggle world Ooh. as like an astrologist. I think that's awesome. Oh, all the muggleborns though, all of them use their magic. Did you catch that? All their all of them use their magic. She's doing it deliberately. She has a more concrete touch with it. She's not Muggleborn. She's a pureblood, technically. Yeah, well, she know it. She's, she's as good as Muggleborn, whether you're a pureblood or a Muggleborn. They're both raised as Muggles. But if her blood happens to be pure, doesn't make sense. That's the whole point with the war's over. She's no different from a Muggleborn in how she's in her life. She makes a, the, the, gives you the impression that she has pressed memories, that she still has kind of some leakage through the memory charm. She He men- mentions that like there's a room decorated in Gryffindor colors, the dog's name is Billy. She doesn't fully have that block. So somewhere in a subconscious way, she understands she knows she's a witch. Oh, yeah. or she knows that there's somebody around the room and such. Yeah. Like and she's actually demonstrated her magic and they joke about it. It's slightly different from Hermione who has never known that she's a witch and you know she does the finger thing with the cello which was I, I thought was a great introduction to the character in <laughs> this world by the way um, being a music you know nut. But geek, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, Were you a band geek? Uh, no comment. That's a yes. Me I kind of was. 
Awesome. Very good. What instrument? Um, I played tuba. Tuba. Any other, nice. Any I played euphonium. Still on the subject of Maggie and Annie, I like Harry's completely BS explanation for why he knows about them. <laughs> I, I, I thought he's spinning moonbeams and he's, oh yeah, my mom was an aurer and worked on the case and I heard her talk about it once. Harry is so talented at, right, at, at plausible lies in this. this fi- I it's love it. Slithering. It's What can I say? He's so good at it. The castle ghosts get involved in the production of A Christmas Carol and the bloody baron is playing <laughs> The Ghost of Christmas Future. I loved it. Great idea. Even in this AU, Ron still has a thing for Hermione because he sees her and his jaw hits the floor and flies are buzzing in and out. It's That's a good point, but also Draco does not have a thing for Ginny in this one. I don't think he acknowledges that she's hot at any point. Is it that he's so wrapped up with Jamie? My, my personal theory is that if there is a such thing as a soulmate, that, that in his case, is that true soulmate is Jamie. It's kind of sad that she has to be in this alternate universe where, you know, in the regular universe she doesn't exist. It kind of sets up the idea, are Ginny and Draco really meant to be together, or is it supposed to be Harry and Ginny? And of course, uh, as fans, we all wanted to be, yes, yes, yes. You know, I think think we can read off of Harry and Hermione's relationship in the first oh, sure. story that didn't last so why should draco and jenny be any different <laughs> well technically it does last it lasts like over two years yeah true like it's like it's a, or almost two years it's a crazy long relationship for something that you know neither of them was really all that into mm. you know we'll find out about that later they seem pretty into it i can't speak about the second story but in the first book they're pretty into it i mean they're very lovey-dovey and caring and involved with each other so i don't think you can say they weren't they're hormonal I mean, Ravaged teenagers at that point. They're getting kisses and, and they're getting sex. They're they're pretty happy, you know, it, yeah. regardless of who it's with. Yeah, it's, it isn't all sex and kisses. But there is a deeper emotional connection. Like, I'm not saying you have to think Hermione is her soul. I'm not a believer in soulmates personally, but there's definitely it, it's a real relationship with real emotions and caring. It's not a oh my god. I think Ryan was saying it's not like oh my god I can't see them together. This is so horrible. Well, it's it's one of those. I think it, I think the I, I would find it believable that they became like a, like a long term couple based on what we read in first book. I wouldn't find that shocking or hard to swallow. I think it's one of those things, though, where any two very good friends, if they take that relationship to the next level, they could be fantastic together because they know each other. They know each other very well. And as long as there's no you know, significant incompatibility issues, they can, they can have a, a very fine relationship. That doesn't mean that they are necessarily the best couple. Jerry, did you wash this pair? <laughs> yeah, I washed it. It looks like it hasn't been washed. So wash it. You hear the way he talks to me? Hey, uh, let me ask you something. What do you think of this shirt? It's nice. Jerry said he didn't like it. I didn't say I didn't like it. I said it was okay. Oh, you said you didn't like it. Oh, well, so what if I don't like it? Is that like the end of the world or something? So how did you two meet? Oh, actually, we met in the gym locker room. Yeah. Actually, it was in gym class. I, I was trying to climb the ropes, and uh, Jerry was spotting me. <clears throat> and uh, I kept slipping and burning my thighs. And then finally I slipped and I fell on Jerry's head. <laughs> yeah, we've been close ever since. What that? That's just directed. I'm not saying that. I, I think it's pretty clear by this point that it's going to be Harry Ginny. But if, if you just take it off of the end of the end of the first Plaid Lundering book, I say Serpent Book. I'd slip. 
I can't read Harry Hermione fic anymore because it almost always completely destroys Ron's character. And even this one was kind of out of character for both of them. But then uh, you get to the second one, you realize, hey, the out of characterness is part of the story. Awesome. That's what I said. Blame it for being out of character because it's so old. Yeah. Well, yeah. And imperious curse. They do also get some aspects of the character right, which is impressive considering that you know it is so early, and the fact that that they spot the Harry Ginny stuff before it was really existed and, and really Ron Hermione was obvious from book at least book four if not book three I'd say book coming two coming at this before which is really obvious coming at this from someone who isn't the Harry Ginny shipper and isn't the Harry Hermione shipper honestly I don't really give a damn who Harry winds up with in all honesty if you told me and again I don't think it's going to go this way but if at the end of book one you know we found out that this was going to be a Harry Hermione fact based on what we read in book one I would have no real problem with it and I wouldn't consider it in any way not a strong relationship and I, I don't think, as, as I honestly deeply believe that based on what we actually read in the first book, cannot claim that there is strong proof that Harry doesn't belong with Hermione. My eyes, that proof doesn't start to come until the start of book two. And it starts with way back before we enter this world, the conversation with Ron. And that's sort of like the table setting for everything that happens in this world. And until we get to this world, there is no real strong reason to argue that Harry Hermione isn't the way it should be. And I can think of read book one to argue why Harry and Ginny don't belong together. I, I will okay. definitely agree with that. I think that if Barb didn't write Time of Good Intentions, that it would definitely be possible to take the sixth year and you have Harry and Hermione struggling with the Imperious Curse and, and all of that stuff. I think you could build on what's already there and make it believable. Closing thoughts. We can start with Mr. Tim. With who? Tim. Tim. Well, here, I had some issues with this fic. I think I could see where it established a lot of, you know, the post-Goblet of Fire fan and Snape was just acting and such, which we find out from book five, it was completely personal from the beginning, but that's another thing. But it's growing on me. It's growing on me. As we get a bit away from the usual stuff, the characterization makes more and more sense as we go. Don't get me wrong, I like the story, but... I don't know. Some parts rub me the wrong way. And you get later on, get past them. I'm enjoying it. Okay, I want to say one thing because I haven't been on for this series yet. And I want to say this fic saved my marriage to Harry Potter. <laughs> because, as you probably know, I don't write Harry Potter fanfiction anymore. And I don't primarily read it anymore. My primary fandom is now Doctor Who and Torchwood. In the past few months, I would think about Harry Potter fandom in general. And I was really getting nostalgic for the old days of fandom. And because this sick is just from those days. It made me feel so nostalgic for those days when we only had four or five books of canon and there was all this speculation and stuff and I love it. I love it because of the memories it brings back and it made me just so excited about reading Harry Potter fic again. So I do have to say that probably colors my perception of this story because because I read it now, I really like it a lot more than I probably would if I read it at a time when I wasn't so emotional about the fandom in general because looking back on it now, I feel there's a lot of things in there that I probably wouldn't like if I had been in that kind of mindset. But Barb, you got off from me because I wasn't in the right state of mind. So I really, really enjoyed the day. Two last small points, uh, and then I've got my wrap-up thoughts. In Chapter 13, uh, which I assume is at the trial and so forth, Rita Skeeter is on Harry's side. 
in all of this, which I think is fantastic. I love Rita Skeeter as a character, and I love how Barb uses her here. I I think it's great that she paints. She's got all this scandal, sex, and reluctant Death Eaters, and so on, and she spins this whole fabulous story, and the only one coming out looking good is Harry, which is great. Um, on trial. Yeah, exactly. I I just love that. I love that in her character. I, I don't think it's out of her character. And... When Harry goes on the run, this is just a really dumb question, but nobody can find him. How come nobody sends him an owl? How come nobody sends an owl after he owl. Because yeah. the plot says so. Because the plot says so, yeah. Actually, there is a logistical reason in the book, but it doesn't come until later chapters. I bet that doesn't actually work. Because if, if it did work, then people would do it. So I don't think you can just send an owl after someone and follow the owl. I think maybe like the, the psychic connection between between wizards and owls that allows the owl to be used because these aren't magical animals; these are just plain old the owls. Connection between the owls. Sorry, that just sounds funny. The psychic connection between the owls. Yeah. So it must be like the way. No, I'm, I have a good theory that is actually groundbreaking. I think because owls have this like latent magical power about them because these are just plain old ordinary owls. They must react to the magic in people. But I think if an owl is delivering a letter to somebody that doesn't want to be found, they're not going to lead people to him. Hmm. It was just a question because when. Harry needs to find Dumbledore. He just sends an owl. So I think that within yeah, this universe, follow the owl. well, you could tracking charms or you're on your broom or something. Um, I just think that in the universe, it doesn't really make sense that nobody thinks of sending Harry an owl and tracking it to find him. Small thing. Um, I think it's because of the reason I did. It works for me, quite honestly. Um, so to sum up, as I've said before, this is one of my favorite stories. I have this, the whole trilogy was one of the first things that I read upon getting into the fandom and the second arc particularly has stayed with me. Uh, there are tons of things that I remember about this story that I remember fondly and I'm done. I'm tired. <laughs> Next. Cronky. <laughs> oh, yours, Cronky. I've said it a few times. This is my favorite fic of all time. This, this middle fic here. Oh my god. Somebody fell asleep. I can hear somebody snoring. <laughs> I wondered what that noise was, actually. Aaron, are you there? Somebody make a note. <laughs> Is Aaron really asleep? Before him now. He's snoring. Yeah, Harry from my fan. Thought I could amuse. Hello? Are you back? Hey guys. Yeah, <laughs> sleep for a little bit. I think you join us. <laughs> no, I made the party. We would have dumped your fingers in warm water by now. I, I made the I made the newbie mistake of, of sitting too comfortably in my chair at my desk <laughs> and putting my feet up. Yeah, my face is red right now. So well, we didn't notice it until you started snoring. <laughs> These are actually not not my favorite chapters necessarily. Those are actually yet to come. So much good stuff in here. I love Harry's realization that Ginny is his girlfriend, and that you know this world isn't so bad after all. The 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 characterizations of Snape and Malfoy as you know good decent guys fight with you till the the bitter end type guys was great. Um, even um, I love I liked Dumbledore as Dumbledore as the pirate caretaker. <laughs> <laughs> 
Or a monkey. He could be a monkey. The monkey. The monkey? Jones monkey? was a monkey. You know the no. monkey? The band, the monkey. One of the oh, monkeys. okay. It's not, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. not just Davy Jones's locker. It's also the monkey. So many great characterizations in here. I, I had a real, real problems with the characterizations in Psychic Serpent, and I felt that the ones in this fic were so much closer to Bill Ken, even though it was you know an alternate universe and whatnot, yeah. and so so um, sympathetic too as well. I, Snape, when his son dies, is just you know I, you feel for him. So PSW, this is your fearless leader, Michael, and I would like to thank you for spending the past few hours with our podcast. If you enjoyed it, you may thank me, the leader who organized it, and my faithful minions, without whom I could not have put on a production. Thank you. I'm not a minion. At least I'm your co-leader. Right, you're my right hand. Yes, my co-host and my right hand person. And uh, that's what and all my minions. The hand the king. That's Tim. I couldn't have put on this production your without your help. Even and I hope you've learned something from my wisdom and I've been able to impart skills <laughs> on you, so that one one day, far from now, I know, but one day I think you'll be able to go on and do a podcast with the same poise and you know drama and mix of control, firm-handed control, yet creative freedom that I've imparted on you, you can in turn share with others. So, I think you've please. inspired me to start my own podcast. I think I think I, I want to do a, a Harry Potter fan fiction podcast, but I, we're going to do one-shots instead, and we're going to try and get somebody to, to read the fix on the air. What do you think? Does that sound like a good idea? Yeah, yeah. You have my approval to do that project. Ground, gra- groundbreaking. Yes, nobody's had that idea before or has a podcast like that already. approval to pursue the side podcast project of yours. So, PSW, yeah. again, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this Michael and Friends production. Um, <laughs> next time, unfortunately, I think I'm going to have to let Ryan have a chance at leading the podcast again, just because he's going to feel too upset to sit out. But until then, this is the cast of PFW and Michael wishing you a good night. I'm saluting you. Good speed. Let's good just night, make everybody. one thing clear, Mike. I am not your minion. <laughs> who's who's yeah. saying that? Yeah, I, mean, I, I get title credit. I demand title billing. It's Michael <laughs> and definitely gets some form of credit. P.S. gets second bill. P.S. is the right hand of Michael. Death Roll is the wrath of Michael. Kim is the left brain of Michael. <laughs> and Cronky is the will of Michael. These are your titles. Mike, let me just tell you, horrible things are going to happen to your character in my story. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell your voice is apart. It's death roll. It's death even roll. one for me, too. Okay. okay. Does anybody Absolutely. else have a character of Mike in their story? Uh, seriously? I'm considering well, I, it. I know Yes and Aaron are both writers also, so what a lot. Uh, <laughs> Annie covered Ryan in Apricot Preserves. <laughs> really? Oh, I'm not nice. Attacked by a fix. toilet not, or something. I am not writing yeah. Mike into my fix until he watches the canon my fix are based on. There you Exploding go. toilet. Yeah. Something <laughs> effect, but I've got Mike in my story. Story as the uh, ministry person in charge of the wizarding orphanage. Right. So some, something bad can happen to him. Well, seriously, Mike, I got to be honest about this. All your questions to me have really helped me develop the idea for the story. So I think it's only fitting that you get a part. Thank you. I appreciate it. Shall we say goodnight? Well, I already said goodnight. Didn't count when you did it. <laughs> Oh, all right. This is that. You're no longer my right hand. You're my left hand. You're the left hand of That's Michael. That's fine. I don't mind. Pick yeah. it up, and you won't even be any hand. You'll just be minion again. So watch your stuff, yeah. Yeah, Mike, watch. Give it up. Give my eye on you, P.S. I out. I outrank you. I'm the mistress of magic. Yeah. Well, I am Voldemort. How are you, Voldemort? I am the power behind the throne. I can minister people under various curses of running scared and manipulating them. No. Voldemort didn't do that. Well, yes, you have one hour. P.S. It's time to. <laughs> 
reread the canon. Voldemort didn't put the minister in her imperious. Yes, he did. Well, not the he minister. He was not the power behind the throne in one book. You know, I mean, if you're Voldemort, you're also you're also a scary looking baby. <laughs> I, I am Voldemort, where I lost my nose and eyes, transported through time to seven, so I control the minister. You're not. You have one hour Voldemort either, huh? <laughs> no, I'm good looking Voldemort who happens to live in book seven, who managed to kill Harry when he was born because I didn't give his mother a chance to live. So I'm so all you're a Gary Stew, okay. Excellent. Mike is Exactly. Bold- I, 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 am, I am Voldemort's younger brother who learned from Voldemort secretly <laughs> when Voldemort was killed by Harry. I slay Harry and step into his shoes and before they could rise up, I seize control of the minister and I spread propaganda about how Voldemort's fallen and it's a new era of peace, but really I've taken over his death eaters and the minister behind the scenes and I exile Harry to France and I retain control. So Seriously, out of control with the slightest bit of power, Mike now thinks he is Voldemort who has his testicles back. Exactly. Good night, I thought everybody. Voldemort only had one. Good night. You have my permission to sign off and go to get sleep. <laughs> God. Um, Brian, don't let my coast again. Like, Brian, I'll do it. Whatever. I'll be there. However I water, I'll do it. You were assuming I'm going to allow Ryan to host again. Oh, that. I know your weakness, a cockroach. Mm. Okay, you went. Never mind. Good night. <laughs> Hermione burning the map. Mm. Harry getting impregnated. Harry impregnated. Uh, what oh. is the name of the person who plays Severus Snape in the movie? He's and the same Mike guy goes, from Die Hard, and he's the same guy from Sneepod. Uh, I know his name. I can got you name one single up. person involved with films? Can you name Daniel Radcliffe? Yay, he gets it on the fifth time. Hey, Mike, where do you find a Bezoar? Where? <laughs> yeah, where do you find a Bezoar? Oh, um, Bezoar. Stomach of a goat. Wow. Color me impressed. What do you have? I have a very good grasp. Even though I haven't read the books as much as some people, I have a very good grasp of book trivia. Like, have you ever, like, right. like a song of Ice and Fire, which is my favorite book? I have actually won the international trivia contest run by the author. Which this is from the guy who read the prophecy and thought Draco was fondling Harry for half of Naked Quidditch match. In Mike's defense, Draco wanted to fondle Harry. <laughs> he did. <laughs> <laughs> so hold on to the wonder that those books brought to our Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night. Thank you for calling Potterfic Weekly. If your toilet is exploding, please press one. If your street is flooding, please press two. If you see a tornado, please press three. If you see a volcanic eruption, please press four. (laughs) Otherwise, hang on the line and an angel will be right with you. (laughs) If you have a fruit bat in your car. Are you still there? (laughs) Your call is very important to us. (laughs) Please hold for the next available representative. You got saved. Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. I just love this part. The peons are coming. And welcome back to Peoncast. I'm Sue. I'm Kayla. I'm Kelly. And I'm Don. 
Today we are doing the next in the series, the F word series. This one is Family by Antasha. I think that's how we say the name. And it can be found on Phoenix Songnet. He's been writing a couple of these. Um, apparently he has a few more to write in this series. And he just wrote one that was actually set like 30 years after, uh, after the one that we're reading right now. Actually, we have Dan here who suffered a Poofwanian problem while he was visiting other pack members up north. And when I say up north, up north means that up north of me, I'm in the middle of the U.S., not up north of Kayla, who is, you know, just south of the Arctic Circle. So <laughs> no, no, up, up north means literally just south of Canada. Right. <laughs> okay, Dan, you need to tell us what you did. I walked on water temporarily. Temporarily being the operative <laughs> word. Say what? <laughs> yes, I walked on. I walked on beach. I walked on frozen over beach. I walked on sandbank. I attempted to walk a bit further out on sandbank and fell through ice, <laughs> vertically, straight down. <laughs> I climbed out of ice. I stood on ice. I fell down again. I climbed out. Got stuck a small island of sand in middle of ice. And after five minutes, jumped off, freezing. Yeah, I bet. Oh, goodness. Good news. Nothing broken. No electronics broken. No bones broken. Bad news. It was cold. Yes. It was Lake Superior. So, like, you said you were walking on the ice, right? Yes. Usually when you do that, have you never been told to, like, test it? You know, like, when you're walking... And you'll put one foot forward and put a little bit of weight? I was testing it. Okay. <laughs> I was the person testing it for Scott oh. and Ray. I was their divining rod. Where I fell through the ice, they shouldn't walk. Let me put it like that. So what you're saying is you fought the lake and the lake won. Lake Superior won, Dan zero. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I'm prepared for a rematch. Yeah, as long as it's like, you know, August. <laughs> Yeah, and you have someone around there to pull you out. If it's August, it's not as cold. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> oh, aren't the ice waves, aren't they cool? Yes. They're cool as long as you don't fall through them. Well, th this bit of ice wasn't waving. This bit of ice was solid, still. I don't think it was very solid. No. Until I walked on it, obviously. Well, until I walked on it, it was perfectly solid. Let's put it like that. So you're saying that if you had been a rabbit, you would have been fine. But because you weren't, you weren't fine. <laughs> I love that they sent the lightest person in the group out to check the ice. Yeah, I'm only somewhat lighter than Scott, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you didn't suffer lasting injury. Yes. So am I. Yes, we're glad that you are here to podcast the tale. And you've discovered that swimming in Lake Superior in... March or April is not wise. <laughs> Absolutely not, unless you're well prepared. Step one, bear. bring a wetsuit. <laughs> Step two, don't wear a full-length leather duster. Oh, oh no. no. Oh, no. The duster's fine. Oh, good. The duster's absolutely fine. It's hilarious. No permanent damage to anything. That's very good. Mm. You must not have been in the water very long. About 30 yeah. seconds each time, yeah. Yeah. At most. Oh, burr. Yeah, jumping in there would probably get you out pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Does he clawed his way through the ice to get out? Yeah. yeah. 
That'd be scary. Yeah. Well, it was more sort of hilarious as soon as I got over the initial shock of, where's the ground gone? <laughs> <laughs> You know, you don't, you don't expect what you're standing on to suddenly go, wait. Yeah. I'm in water. And it's cold water. Very yeah. cold water. Very, very cold water. Yeah. Oh well, I'm glad you're okay. Yes, we all are. Me too. Thank you. <laughs> and with that... I don't think anybody else has suffered any um, peon, cast-ish, or poofwa-ish no. events this week. You're not going to make me tell the tractor story, are you? You have a tractor story? Yes, we are. We need to hear the tractor story now. If I'm embarrassing myself, you're embarrassing yourself. Okay. She pulled a gen. I did. I pulled a gen. I was out driving the tractor, tearing up the wheelchair ramp, and I had turned it on and off as I got on and off of it to load the wood from the wheelchair ramp back into it so I could take it out to the burn pile. And I was done with it. So I took it down and I parked it and I turned off the key and the engine didn't stop. So I turned it back on and I turned it off and the engine didn't stop and I pulled the key out. So I had the key out, the motor turned all the way off and still it hadn't stopped. And I'm like, okay, now what do I do? So I put the key back in it and I drove it up to the house and I called my mom and I said, I can't get it to turn off. (laughs) So we tried all kinds of things. We tried turning it on, we tried turning it off and it has an automatic kill switch. If you fall off of it, the springs pop the seat up and it causes a disconnect and it turns off the motor so that it stops. So I thought, okay, I'll do that. I'll just get off the tractor. Nothing happened. So we called the neighbor and the neighbor came down and he walked around. Oh, and then it developed some sort of hydraulic or oil leak. I'm not really sure which. So we called the neighbor who's the tractor guy and we said, we can't get it to stop. What do we do? So he came down and he walked around it several times and he said, well, it's an electrical problem. You have no electricity and you have to have electricity to shut off the gas flow to the engine or else it's just going to keep going. We said, okay, what do we do? He said, you have to crash it. (laughs) So he got on and he drove it around until he found a really solid post and he crashed it into the post because apparently the tractor does not have a clutch that you can pop and stall it. So you have to drive it into something to stall the motor. Needless to say, the tractor's out in the field next to the post waiting for the repair people to come and pick it up tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, no. At least you weren't the one crashing it. I was not the one crashing it, no. Oh, good. I was worried there. Is it damaged? Um, aside from the fact that it has no electricity and we think it's just a fuse, no. He drove it into a solid post and it didn't do any damage? That's impressive. He didn't hit it that hard. Yeah. Well, it's a tractor. Good point. <laughs> he hit it with the bucket. It's a Kubota. It's a little orange Kubota. And the funny thing was, the neighbor got on and he started backing. He took the emergency brake off and it started rolling backwards because he had it neutral. And I'm like, you got to put it in gear. And he's like, I don't know how to drive it. It's not green because he Uh-oh. has John Deere's <laughs> and ours is a Kubota. But he got it going. So he got it going in order to and crush it and stop it. it stopped, which was really good. Okay, so back to the fic. You mean starting the fic? <laughs> back starting to the fic. The fic. <laughs> starting the fic. F is for family. And going back to last time, Ginny has promised Harry his birthday gift, and they take advantage of an empty house. And now as this one starts, the Weasleys are gathered outside the burrow as a group. And peering up at Jenny's window. And I just really love this interaction. You know, Reckon it's safe to go in, Ron asks. Yeah. Well, murmured George, can't have lasted very long. And so they just have to 
they're gathered outside in front of their parents, which I just think is hysterical. Mm-hmm. Mr. and Mrs. are, are right there with them going, hmm, should we join go in? in <laughs> virtually. In fact, Molly does join in. That was funny. <laughs> yeah. I don't notice you being a hurry in a hurry right. to burst in there, Arthur Weasley. And then she goes in first and freezes anyway. <laughs> and she catches them making, making tea. tea. Yes, they are making tea. <laughs> Scandalous there. Really and truly. I love the way that's such a sinister activity all of a sudden. And making the tea. <laughs> it, it couldn't be worse if they were on a trek to Mount Doom to throw the ring into the fiery burningness of Mordor. At least they're not hanging wallpaper. They are making the tea. It's actually worthy of a full-blown dun dun I like the part where they were all shuffling into the kitchen and and they were um, just all sitting down and everything and Jenny's like... Oh, maybe we should have cleaned the table, cleaned the kitchen table after you know. And everyone just freaks out. It's so funny. Best line in the fic. Best section in the fic. And pretty much Jenny was just setting them up. They really didn't do anything. She just wanted to see their faces. And poor Harry. Harry didn't know it was coming either. His face was good. Everyone else's faces were delightful. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh no, it's so funny. And she and he's like, Chitty, she's like, We didn't do anything <laughs> except snog a good bit. <laughs> she has such a wonderful sadistic streak in yes, her. Yes, she does. That's gonna be a relationship to look forward to. <laughs> sadistic streak and sense of humor combined, it's very scary. Yes. Well you can tell she's got brothers, yes. so Ah yes. So they sit down <laughs> for tea. Dun dun dun. And Harry is reminded of something. And because Ron's face, because well, Ron is like, you know, like uh, you know, and he's commenting to Ron about, you should be careful turning that color. I haven't seen anybody go that, quite that shade of magenta since. And he remembers his uncle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he looks over at, at Arthur and says, how are my relatives? And nobody has remembered them. It's totally slipped everybody's mind. Well, they weren't exactly the most important people in Harry's life, so it's reasonable no, enough. No, yeah. And the the really scary part is the two people that knew Are where they died. were both died. Yeah. So if they hadn't fortunately let one other person know, no one would know how to find them. I thought that part was kind of funny. It's like, yeah. Oh, they would have been lost forever, still thinking the war's going on. Over. Well, it's it's the um, Japanese man on an island syndrome. 50 years after World War Two, Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of a little confused about this, though. So we have the people. Mad-Eye was their secret keeper. And, mm-hmm. and Remus. Remus was his backup. And Remus, thank goodness, had the foresight to figure that if... Moody was... If, he was the yeah, only one and who if, knew, somebody else needed to know. So Kingsley knew. Well, this is what I don't understand. Okay. Well, I'm going to talk about what I understand later. But they go to, they end up going to the um, to the location, and Ron doesn't go because they get, you know, they leave at the crack of dawn, and he figures, ah, I think I'll just stay home and sleep. 
I thought that was funny. Well, no, he's already told he can't go. Right. He's told that one Weasley is more than enough after what Fred and George did. Right. Yeah. And Ginny's going for sure. Oh. You know, let's be fair. The crack of dawn is a mitigating factor in his decision to Right. Go. And the fact that Hermione kissed him till he was senseless doesn't hurt either. That, that, might have no, that might not have any bearing at all on it. Of course not. Why would that have a bearing? No, but that was just an no, extra. <laughs> it was an extra. Yes. One of those minor side benefits. So before they go out there, they're talking to Kingsley. Mm-hmm. And Kingsley has asked Harry what he's going to do. You know, what are you planning on doing? And Harry's first response is, I want to go back to Hogwarts. Which I thought was kind of odd, but I guess it was more along the lines of I want to be with Ginny than I want to do anything else. And then they talk about him becoming an Auror and how they need him because the ranks have been decimated because of the war. And because everyone needs Harry Potter. Well, and, and not just because he's Harry Potter, it's just you have, you've really had on the job training more than anything over the last year. True. Mm-hmm. You know. And they're supposed to have 36, what is it, the fully staffed, the department is supposed to have 36 in the field, and right now he can field a dozen, and that's it. And most of them are, Green. are ancient. Or, or ancient, yeah. yeah. So they need new people, and they don't want him as a draw, they want him because they know he can work. Well, they want him as both. They want him specifically as a draw, mm-hmm. but they want everyone they can get as well. Yeah. Well, they don't want him as a poster boy, that's the whole thing he doesn't want no, but he does specifically mention... We'll make people feel a lot safer, right. We need new blood badly, and I won't deny having Harry Potter join the department would make people feel a lot safer. Not to mention making the Wizengabot more willing to open up a purse a bit. So, yeah. But they're going to... The Auror Academy out of Hogwarts, which is convenient. <laughs> a little too convenient. Because where does Harry want to be? Well, I do like Ginny's line. Ginny's line sums up Harry perfectly. He's got a people-saving thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how is that not a perfect summation of the entirety of Harry's character? It is. Leaving aside Caps Lock Harry. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. So they uh, head off and have to actually climb a fence, which I think is funny, to get to where the Dursleys are staying. Doesn't surprise me. It's basically a farm. Yeah, on this farm. And the first thing that they notice is... Somebody working well, in the flower bed. I, I want to jump in here. And, no, no, I'll jump in later. Go ahead. Okay. Flower bed. <laughs> Are you jumping in here or later, <laughs> darling? Later, later. And so he can tell that it's his Aunt Petunia, but he's like, um, what is she doing? Thinking something's wrong. Something's different here. He's not quite sure what it is. This is my Aunt Petunia's good twin. Yeah. Where did the evil one go? <laughs> and so. They start walking up, and she notices him. And smiles. <laughs> Surprised Harry didn't have a heart attack there. Right? <laughs> if I was Harry, I would have done. Oh, yeah. I'd been like, um, say what? Who are you, and what have you done with Petunia? Yeah. You're smiling at me? When did you ever smile at me? Oh, and it gets better. And then she hugs him, doesn't she? She cries yep. on him. She cries all over him. <laughs> I'm so glad to see you safe. And at that point, Harry's like, okay, I'm in the Twilight Zone. Who are you and what have you done? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then Dudley comes out and Dudley's uh, been obviously been working out and is looking very uh, nice. Jenny's like, that's your fat cousin? 
<laughs> well, he was fat. He was chiseled and muscular and lean as some marbled a sculpture. Marble sculpture. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like that line. I can't picture him like that. I did not like that phraseology. No? No, there's just something about it. They're making him sound hot, and I don't think he would be. Like, I, I've just never pictured Dur- or Dudley that way at all, so it's like, okay. Well, I think it was more along the lines of muscular, not yeah. appearance. Yeah. So Harry has to pass the, are you, am I sure you're really Harry Potter test, and answers the question of how they first met, how he and Daedalus. Daedalus. Daedalus Daedalus. All the way back from the very beginning, before, you know, seven years of madness and craziness and death and destruction, and he still remembers? That struck me as odd. I didn't think that was odd. He was the first person to greet Harry Mm -hmm. as, I am glad to see you. I think that would have stood out in his mind. That's true, actually. Yes, I, I think it would have, too. I think everything that day would have stood out in his mind because it was his first excursion into the magical world. The thing that I don't understand. Hello, now I'm jumping in. Okay, jump. The <laughs> thing I don't understand is the reason that they were having this, you know, you are you who you say you are, is because they had been found by Death Eaters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, if you have a Fidelis charm on the house, are you found by Death Eaters? Because you don't have a Fidelius charm on the whole island. So what you've got is a situation where people are apparating to the island and going into the house to bring in supplies. If both people get spotted apparating onto the island, the Death Eaters go onto the island. We know that Hestia Jones is taking taking training runs around the island with Dudley, outside the charm, which is crazy, stupid, but what can you say? But at the same time, I'm thinking, this is a spot of land in the middle of the channel, you know? Are they going to look on every little spit of land? Oh, my goodness. And they just happened to run across them as they were taking a run? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, it just it just struck me as odd. It's like, what happened to the Fidelis? Go through any story and you'll find inconsistencies and crazy coincidences like that. It's how stories happen. You have yeah. to have the occasional yeah. thing just to make it work right. It just looked odd to me. I'll, that's all. I'd, I'd let that one slip. <laughs> if, if you're going to pick mm-hmm. up on inconsistencies like that... <laughs> No, no. Well, it it just was strange because Kingsley had to tell them they are on they are at Siren Farm, and, and it just it struck me as really strange. But he took to them see, to the island you know, first. They were standing outside the farm before he told them the fence. Yeah, yeah. Right, so you can tell where the bo- and the guys on the island went outside that boundary. Hestia and Dudley kept right. going outside the boundary, which gives you the obvious. Well, if they're keeping an eye out for any sort of magical trace, that would pick it up. Or if they spot someone apparating in. Yeah, who knows how they were found. But it does make sense that they were outside the wards when they were found, or outside the the charm when they were found. And so Harry's pretty much floored because people are being nice to him, and he's not used to that. And then he thinks, um, where's Uncle Vernon? And The obvious happened. (laughs) Yeah. Though it is kind of hilarious how. (laughs) Oh, that at was least he, at, at, at least he died <laughs> happy. <laughs> yeah, there's there's something you just on. don't want to know. It's so disturbing. Oh. Well, what's funny is that Ginny and Harry are like, huh? And Kingsley got it. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> and then Ginny got it. Yes. And then eventually Harry got it. Right. How slow on the uptake is either an adolescent male? 
<laughs> oh, well, he'd been doing other things. That would have been like the creepiest <laughs> thing ever, though. It was funny. It was funny. <laughs> yes. I found it disturbing. <laughs> it was funny in a very, very sick and disturbing way. <laughs> yeah, but it was just so perfect for Dursley. I mean, come on. Who was on top, though? I can't. Who? I can't remember. I don't want to know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it was the other way, that would have hurt. Okay, that's, I that's don't want to know. Much information. <laughs> that would is be a too tiny much woman sick. to have that big of a man, like just. Oh. <laughs> A dead weight? Stop. Stop. You were talking. Stop talking now. (laughs) And would it just like... Please, God, stop. (laughs) (laughs) When do you think the rigged mortise would kick in? (laughs) Okay. We're going to move on now. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Yes, please. Uh, Do. I have, this, right. I have this vision now of her being grabbed <laughs> underneath him and going, help, somebody help. <laughs> oh, you'd have to pull it out. Oh, you were the one that started it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I immediately thought of. Like, come on. <laughs> I couldn't have been the only one thinking that. I, I didn't go there. <laughs> I don't think anyone but her went there. Well, yeah. I had to look up to see what Bubble and Squeak was. Oh, Bubble and Squeak. It's... uh, Dan would know that. What is Bubble and Squeak? Basically, it's mashed potato with vegetables in, and then you fry the whole thing. It's like a hash. No, no, think about it like this. Yeah, but with vegetables fried in. Yeah. You take all the leftovers from the night before, and you cut them up, and you fry them up in a pan and serve them. But not like mushed together. Pretty much. Oh. You um mash it all together, lots of potato usually, mm-hmm. and then you fry it. It's a hash with vegetable in. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to interrupt us because I sent a Skype to Ryan. This is not a good visual. Vernon dies while having sex with Petunia. Ryan's response, on top or bottom. (laughs) Thank you. I said, we were just trying to figure it out. He said, if it's on top, they die together. (laughs) Thank you, Ryan. I thought exactly the same thing. Oh, no. Bad. Well, you gotta wonder. He's a big man. You wouldn't want. Yes, but Uh, I don't want to wonder. Thank you very much for that rather remaining ignorance. You know what I ignorance okay, is bliss. Okay? When I was um a bit younger, I remember watching, I came across this one episode of Sunday Night Sex Show. I can't even say it. The Sunday Night Sex Show with Sue, that older lady. Do you guys have that down in the States? Welcome back to Talk Sex. And we have Nicholas on the line. Hi, Nicholas. Hi, Sue. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good question. Yes. Okay, she's actually what? come to our college Scary. and stuff, what too. What is this? But I remember her having a caller, and I guess they it's like, were... It's like talk sex on Sunday night or yeah. something like that. You t- she's not gonna really ask. kinky for an old lady. Um, oh, yeah. But I remember her, she had a call from two people that were, like, 
trying to figure out what positions they could do because they're both like quite rather large and figuring how to fit together. So Sue pulls out her little um, marionettes and trying to show different positions. So oh, not good, not good. <laughs> Why do you subject us to these things? Can you keep the visuals to yourself? Like the only episode I ever saw. I think I was just too disturbed after that. Wonder why. I'm sorry, Darren. <laughs> you're a boy. You're the one that should be saying this. <laughs> why? I'm a boy. I'm not a crazy boy. <laughs> I don't know. Most boys I know are pretty sick. Okay, oh, like no. There's a difference between sick and self-harmingly psychotically sick. <laughs> Visualising Petunia and Dursley in Dursley's last moments in this fic is over the line. <laughs> It's it's somewhere where the line can't even be seen. He died. <laughs> Ten bucks. Everyone else went there. <laughs> read it. If Ryan read it, if Jen read it, if she read it, they'd all be wondering the same thing. <laughs> no, no, she she would be wondering what. Could position. you imagine Mike's reaction? That would be hilarious. Well, will Mike get it? Let's get Mike. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mike won't get Mike it. Mike could be like Harry. Would Mike be Harry? Mike could be Harry. Would Mike be Harry or Kingsley? <laughs> no, because Harry eventually got it. Mike wouldn't. Uh, Mike could be told. No. No, he still wouldn't get it. I think he'd be in the position that most of us want to be in, then. We don't want to talk about positions. Thank you. We want to talk about <laughs> positions. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Don't blame me. I'm innocent. <laughs> Halo. Halo. We're way off course. Harry tells Moving him. Moving right along. That, Harry tells him that he's beat Voldemort and he's dead. Yay, the war's over. They don't believe Harry him, though. Tells, no. That amuses me somewhat. They it. just go, What? You sure? Really? Are you, are you really sure? Well, my yeah. favorite bit comes slightly later. And I'm okay. just going to search for it now. Alright, you find it. Well, well, they tell Hestia and the rest of them who died. Hey, that's and, my favourite bit. Hestia's upset about Tonks. Yeah. And then they found out about Harry's four houses. Yeah. yeah. And it's there which we get well, my favourite bit. Which we, is... We, we, talk, we find out about F- Harry's four houses and the fact that the farm that they're in is actually one of them. I'm a shrieking shack. And, well, well what that. gets me is Petunia's attitude about the fact that Harry owns the property that she's sitting in. It doesn't surprise me at all. I just was really shocked. I guess I would have been more surprised at Dursley's yeah. reaction. You know, he has all this, why didn't Why didn't we have any of this while he was growing up? I mean, you know, you've, got, you've got to remember this is new Petunia. She's nice. She's touchy-feely. Yeah, yeah. She's all heart. Right. Or, or something, at any rate. Well, yeah, you know. Must have been a good last time. Boba chicka bow wow. Just okay. stop. She's just stop. Stuck on the time here. I have a question though, and it's not. Uh, to do no, with you're that. not allowed to ask questions. Right. I'm yeah, gonna, can I make? A I want. I want to say my favorite bit before you make any comment, because otherwise I will forget it okay. with the sick images you will implant. Okay. Say your favorite bit. Okay, Is the ahead. Harry talks about Lupin's? He was a werewolf. Werewolf said Dudley. Remus gasped Dedalus and Petunia together. You say, was Harry? Gasped Hestia. You actually expect Ginny to burst in with, he? Just because everything else in the sentence has been questioned. Right. Literally. Yeah. 
No, that's funny. <laughs> You're funny. That is funny. I thought everyone had known, though, that he would have been a werewolf. Well, he, I thought like I thought it was a common knowledge thing. Especially in the order. But it, it's explicitly yeah. said that it's not common knowledge. Actually, wait, I, I it's common thought knowledge. It was in the order. Yes, though. I would have thought it yeah. was that. And actually, it's common knowledge at the end of book three too, isn't it? Because it gets out to all the yeah, parents that Lupin yeah. is a werewolf. Right. So why don't they know? It, no. I suppose it makes sense for Dudley not to know at least. He's one who says werewolf. Um, the part where I'm sorry. Werewolf. Guys... <laughs> what? Werewolf. Castle. You've seen too much Mel Brooks. <laughs> I didn't even get that. You can never ever see too much Mel Brooks. <laughs> That's true. Who's Mel Brooks? That's true. Oh, Kaylor, okay, just don't even go there. Don't go there, hun. Okay. Um, is this so... is this cue for me to organize a poop for exchange on Mel Brooks? <laughs> <laughs> or at least on Young Frankenstein. Doctor. Uh, I was actually thinking men in tights, but. We're men. We're men in tights. We roll around the forest looking for lights. We're men. We're men in tights. We run from the rich and give to the poor, that's right. Moving swiftly on. Oh, that'll work. That'll work. <laughs> yeah, too. Moving... I'm going to have um... to go find music, I just know it. Moving swiftly on. Wait, hold on. <laughs> the part with. Where they say that like Harry has four houses, I can't remember, but I know I've heard it in one of the episodes. I'm not sure who's ever mentioned it, but I know they said they have a problem with Harry owning, you know, like in fan fiction where someone will write with Harry owning all these houses. You know, he just comes into inheritance, and all of a sudden he finds out. And I think I kind of have a problem with that too, and I'm not sure why. It just seems kind of odd that all these places would just pop up. And well, in this case, it seems well, it seems pretty logical. I don't know. Because we know about one in Godric's Hollow, and yeah, it seems you know Potter, Potter's pretty, Potter's one. pretty rich, so you can presume he's got at least mm-hmm. one other home. He's got his summer well, cottage somewhere. These are his grandparents. Yeah, yeah. this is James's father and mother's. Exactly. Properties. You know, it's it's not like this is new property this that's come into the family recently. This is old property, yeah. and this is a rich well, family's. This is a rich family's old property. It makes sense that they got except lots of it. One. Well, the, yeah, the black house. Yeah, which was left to him by because of someone Sirius. else anyway. And who else is Sirius going to leave it to? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Remus. Yeah. And Remus is gone now too. And who's Remus going to leave People, it to? It's just weird that Remus and Sirius would have been like, "Oh, hey, you should go to this house." I don't know. How oh, he's mm-hmm. just never curious about this stuff. Well, or like finding out. When, I don't know. When's it going to come up? <laughs> anyway, when's it going to come up in casual conversation? We're in, we're in war with Voldemort. Um, oh yeah, you've got a summer cottage as well. If you ever want to have a nice holiday, war well, with Voldemort. Just as nice possible hideouts too. Like when they were running around, I guess. Well, Remus knew about it, and I think that it was probably, it may have been common knowledge. You know, something that you can look up yeah. mm-hmm. in the Ministry archives. You know, it may have been one of if, those things. That, I'm going to go by. I'm going to go by the U.S. Go ahead. It may have been one of those things that everyone assumed Harry knew about and didn't, Just because yeah. there's a lot of that going no. on in the books. You got to admit. But something like this, for him not to know about this, I don't. Think it, so. it makes sense to me because people don't generally talk about housing crises in the middle of military crises. Okay, we've got this massive well, war. My on. point was: Why are we going to tell him about his summer cottage? Especially if it's common knowledge. 
Now, if it's common knowledge, it's not somewhere safe I think to go it, anyway. It, exactly. You would have. It would have been in. You know, for to to put it in a common analogy here, it would have been in the tax records if anything. Mm-hmm. Well, you know. we don't have the ministry. Doesn't seem to actually have taxes per se. Well, we don't know that because Harry doesn't know. That's that. true, but we've got no evidence for that sort of extensive record taking. I mean. We notice the Death Eaters... Well, you have a Ministry of Magic that seems to control everything else. Why not that too? Because the Death Eaters try and compile the records on magical families. It's part of what they're doing when they take over the Ministry. Right. It's like there are no pre-existing right. records. No, I think there were. I think they were just in... They were not in the quote-unquote format that the Death Eaters needed. They wanted to know Muggleborn. They wanted to know Half-Blood. And maybe the records don't care. The records don't care if you're Muggleborn or Half Blood. You're a wizard. Could you be. Know? So I mean, I'm just saying, Harry doesn't know about it. Therefore, we don't know about it because all of these are from Harry's point of view. Yeah. Right. But then Harry finds out that he also has Bunty house elves. Yes, yes Bunty. <laughs> Hermione's gonna kill him. <laughs> God. And she's his biggest fan. We talk Aww. about. Uh, fangirling people or fanboying people. She's a Harry Potter fan girl. She's sort of, she's <laughs> Harry's equivalent of Dobby, only he really does own her. Yes. And of course her presence brings Dobby back to mind and all the guilt he feels over that. And we go back to briefly yeah. angsty Harry. Well, you know, it wasn't so long ago that he was really, you know, Caps lucky. Yeah. Harry, like all the time. That's so. true, but he could be less angsty. It's only really been like a month or so, hasn't it? Or so, like two it's months? Like, a, like nine, actually, I think it's been like two weeks. It's been more than that because we've had the now. funerals and the memorials. And... A month? Oh. Yeah, it's like a month at the very. You're going to make me look days. this up, aren't you? You're not going to have funerals that go on for, you know, three mm-hmm. weeks. Yeah, hopefully not. And so. So. Go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. You go. So we found out um, a little bit earlier that Junior's home had been destroyed, and so she really doesn't have a place to go. And so then Harry thinks, hey, how about if you just stay here? And she's like, that would be perfect. And then Harry, Harry being Harry, makes sure that it's okay with Bunty the house elf, which of course makes her dissolve into tears. Of course. Because <laughs> he's asking her her permission for them to stay. So then he says, well, how about you, Dudley? Are you going to stay too? And Dudley, he's going to join the army. And if he could, he'd join the Aurors, but he's not quite magical enough to do that. But so he's going to join the SAS instead, if they'll have him. Yes. Right. Makes me think he's going to end up coming to Canada and being out at the base here. <laughs> Wondering if I should look around for Dudley. For this chiseled young individual. <laughs> well, there's a lot of them. No, I was um when I was at the airport last week for my practicum up in Calgary. It was crazy because we were walking through the concourse of WestJet, and there must have just been a plane that had gotten in with all these soldiers. But I was walking down the concourse, and they were walking towards me, and all you could see was like this sea of like camo. It was the craziest thing ever because like as far as you could see, it was all like soldiers and. Kind of intimidating, I suspect. Yeah, very. It was crazy, just because there's so many of them. Like, I'm used to seeing them, like, around town, because we have the Suffield base. So we have quite a few soldiers that come over here from the UK and stuff, but I don't usually see them in uniform, so it's like... Yeah, I've I've got used to seeing them being in DC, but it's still a bit... Okay, that's, that's actually a military person wandering the streets in full uniform. They'd be American ones down there, no, because... 
Yes, they would be. Whereas the ones up here would be the ones from your pl- your, your country. Switzerland, <laughs> or possibly the UK. Your choice. Yeah. Sorry. So, <laughs> they decide that it's time to go, and they head out, and as they're leaving, Ginny kind of looks over and says, we want to hurry home, or let's, uh, let's go and visit Teddy. This is Tonkson Teddy. We haven't seen him. Well, that's that's Harry's idea. Ginny Ginny has a different, a completely different thought of stopping off behind Godric's Hollow. She thinks of the lovely rose gardens there. Right. Harry thinks uh, of yes. Tonks, which is you know it's 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 the two opposite ways their brains are going. Mm-hmm. G- now I will tell you that the rose garden that is mentioned in this story is also mentioned in the one he also wrote that is set thirty years from now. So that's cool. That'll be something that we'll cover later. Will it so be a significant plot point? Again. Yes. The Rose Garden is at the back of the house. It's supposed to be, you know, one of the most romantic spots in Britain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's like, oh, well, I was actually thinking of something completely different, but if you want to. <laughs> if, 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 you, if you want to have a good snog, we may as well. We've got the time. <laughs> what kind of adolescent male is Harry? What kind of decent <laughs> right. adolescent male is Harry? Where's his sex drive gone? Um... Um, I'll just stay quiet over in this corner. <laughs> well, you still got the vision of... <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no. I'm going to leave that alone, too. One begins to feel he's as dead as Dursley from the opposite cause. Oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, so they go see Teddy and Andromeda. And Ginny is still mad at Harry. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Is anyone surprised? Hands up if you're surprised. Oh. No. No, 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 no. Girls kind of hold a grudge for a while. Everyone would hold a grudge for a while over that sort of treatment. I'm mm-hmm. just going to abandon you for your own good and not get mm-hmm. in touch with you at all. He was doing that saving people thing. Well, it, you know, he was trying to do it for her own good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, you know, he didn't want to make her a target any more than she already was one. I mean, if they had known that she was still involved with him, she wouldn't have made it past the second week of Hogwarts. Well, that's true. Mm-hmm. They would have gone after her. Oh, for sure. More than they did. Yeah. Because they went after her anyhow, but they would have really gone after her. I didn't say it wasn't no. justified, but no. you've got to admit that she's going to be annoyed with him for a long time. Well, sure she is. And he's, and he's oblivious. He's totally oblivious. No, he's not. He's not anymore. He knows that she's mad at him. She loves him, but she's mad at him. Yeah. He's oblivious to how long it'll last, I think. You've got pretty strong indications that he's oblivious to how deep the grudge goes and how deeply he's hurt her. Well, he asks her again in the next chapter, I believe. Or maybe it's the one after that, if she's still mad at him. Stay tuned. This is why I should be reading ahead. (laughs) Yeah, I need to do that too. (laughs) I read ahead until it said I had to be a certain age to read a chapter and I didn't feel like making a password that night so like, yeah this, this series gets to goes into the um of the, the realm not, of the uh, of the not podcast friendly yeah well no no it goes into the realm of the not 13 year old podcast friendly but we'll skirt around that when we get to it so like I was going to say this podcast is you know same, same restrictions apply mm-hmm. yeah yeah, and we can, <laughs> which is yeah. why we can't do some of the fanfic that you sent Sue. Yes. <laughs> so, does anybody have last thoughts? So, next week we are going to cover fifth story in this series, which is called First, 
It also can be found on phoenixsong.net by Antosha, or Antosha, or however we're pronouncing that. And um, I liked this one. I mm-hmm. really did, because uh-huh. uh, yeah. of the joke that was played on the Weasleys to begin with, and then the fact that uh, we did get a resolution for the Dursleys, all three of them. Yeah, there's a lot of really well-written, really good stuff in this chapter. So I enjoyed it. Me too. Me three. I think I've said this before, but like I'm really enjoying like these little travels because I haven't really read a lot where it's in between stuff like right after like this and keeping pretty close canon and whatnot. So I think it's kind of nice. It feels like you're still reading on from Deathly Hollows. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the yeah. way that this is going because it's going from the end. It just keeps it a real smooth flow coming on yeah. after the war and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So it's very nicely done. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Two thumbs up. So I think we're wrapping up. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed our latherings. It's good night from me and good night from her. See you next week. Good night. Good night. Night. Good night. Night from Peoncast, the next generation. <laughs> and here we have a voicemail. Hello there. This is Oliver's gal from Hufflepuff House, and I am sending in a voicemail about the F-Series fourth version family. I really enjoyed this fic, and I really enjoy all of the F-Word, or all of the F-Series, and, and Tosha does an awesome job with all of his stories and ideas, and it's really a good series for after the battle, before those 19 years later. In this fic, he does a wonderful job. Uh, family is just so touching with Harry learning through different groups what his family is. My favorite moments are start right from the very beginning with the Weasleys outside and debating about going inside. And as soon as they do, you know, even though Mrs. Weasley's bracing for trouble, there's nothing wrong. Ginny and Harry are just making tea. Now, if you read the third installment, the F word, you do know what they were getting up to beforehand, and that might have caused some ruckus in the Weasley family, but right now, it's just normal, everyday things. I like Antosha's Percy. He's still pompous, but he has a sense of humor, and I think that that's really human, and I don't think that growing up in the Weasley family, you can't have a sense of humor. So I'm glad to see that uh, Percy is is, kind of awesome. I like Jenny's comment to Ron about being left behind, because, you know, she's been left behind entire year, so a good taste of his own medicine. As we move along in the story, we see that Harry goes to visit the Dursleys, and the Dursleys were quite surprising. I don't think that I've read other Dursleys who are quite so nice and forgiving. Hot Dudley. Oh my god. <laughs> Hot Dudley was, was just very surprising. And Vernon kicking the bucket well, with his boots on. Pretty amusing. It may be the Hufflepuff in me. But I do like her Dursleys because they've become such good human beings. You know, Dudley wanting to go off to the army. Petunia really being kind to Harry and and sort of through her own way apologizing for all of the past history. Even, you know, her her startling comment about Ginny. I thought that was really surprising. No, Ginny doesn't look exactly like Lily. Ginny has the same spark and intensity that Lily had. So... I think that that's important, and I, th- I think that Petunia definitely needed to say something like that to Harry. I guess all, all in all, it's so cute that Harry is always bashful about his ha- his houses and his money and his wealth, but 
He's so kind. He lets everyone stay. I really like the house elf on, on the island. She was so sweet. So I hope that, um, and kept, having kept up with the series, um, these are definitely a favorite of mine, and I hope he can become a favorite of yours. Thank you. Thank you.